Blog Talk Radio. Remember it was going on. 
now that I think about it, right? But the more I was like, huh, wait a second. You know, this is uh, – yeah, there's something to this. That's a good point. Of course they're not going to make it easy on us to, or really on Dillian White. Um, but, yeah, man, I, like I said, I'm a little in shock. You know, a little. I'm not fully shocked because this is boxing. The other one was Canelo, the WBC – said, go on up to cruiserweight. They had a mandatory, I believe they were going to call, you know, a lot of folks thought they were going to call. I saw multiple people on Twitter already said this, that they were supposed to call the champion at WBC at cruiserweight and the number one contender. I think it's either the number one contender or maybe, you know, maybe it's something. Maybe it's, uh, maybe the, you know, the, the fighter has a, a in Trump belt is what I'm trying to say. Um, that could be too. But either way, there was supposed to be plans. But, you know, when Canelo's got something in, in his mind, they're going to do that. They're going to do that. So, um, yeah, Canelo, it sounds like Canelo is going to go up in weight to cruiserweight. And, we, you know, we already kind of knew he was going to fight in May. That was kind of what most, you know, that's what he kind of talked about. Um, but yeah, it sounds like Makabu, what is it, Makabu? I think it's Makabu. Seen him fight multiple times. Um, you know, he's a short cruiserweight, but he's going to try to go up, would that be his fifth in? Yeah, fifth weight class. And this fight makes a lot of sense. You know, he fought four times in under a year. Um, he did say how he needs to kind of rest a little bit um, and, and just calm down a little bit and rest the body, but he'll be back in January to kind of start negotiating and figure out what they're going to do. So this is like, hey, go go fight. You know, I wonder if this thing's going to be in Mexico City in a big-ass stadium. Um, you know, will he go to DAZN now? Will he make a, a, you know, maybe a two- or three-fight deal with PBC that includes this like he did with the zone, including that Yildrum fight. A lot of people are going to not like this, you know what I mean? And, and I get it. A lot of people are pumped up about a Benefides or Charlo or, you know, that's not even mentioning, um, you know, 175. So he's just going to skip everybody and go right up there and, and – and, I get why he's doing this, you know, and I'm not going to sit there and rip him. I'm just not. I'm just not. Now, if he goes, uh, you know, on a longer two to three fight fighting guys that you may be like, really? Okay. You know, Um, this is clearly a challenge. You can't, I don't think you can say um, that it's not a challenge. You know what I mean? But, you know, anyway, it sounds like that. And then and then at 168, they also uh, called for, well, the WBC said David Benavides has the right to face somebody. I don't know. I, have a, I don't know if that's been called yet for the interim WBC because he is the number one contender. And I kind of figured that potentially maybe. Charlo would go up there and fight him for that interim belt because then it's at least a, you know, we call those belts. 
a lot of people have interims and they've been called champions. So even on the franchise stuff, like Devin Haney is a champion technically, because that's basically like an interim, you know? So interesting, interesting. I got to admit, I didn't see that one coming. Not, I, I did think he'd go to cruiserweight at some point, whether it's going up there to face the toughest guy or, or, you know, whatever. Some people say he's cherry picking. If he fights, goes up there and fights this guy, gets his fifth title, and then fights a legit fight in September. And when I say legit, remember, he's not going to be a huge favorite right away. There is some weight stuff here. Now, like I said, the guy's really short, so, you know, that plays into it, the size-wise and all that. But, yeah, that one that one got me anyway. <clears throat> we'll all further, you know, expand on some of this stuff. It's going to be interesting to hear what Dillian White and Eddie Hearn have to say. Um, <laughs> wow. And then there's some – Frank Warren and on the top rank side, the Fury side, we're talking about what – I don't know if they already figured out what the, the purse splits would be. Generally, it's 55-45 on the WBC Mando. That's generally what it is. But they're talking about a different number, which kind of throws it for a loop, too. You wonder, okay, so what's going on? And, and they based the salary off what he either got paid last time or was going to get paid. I, I don't know which one that is. But anyway, we will get you know into some of this stuff. We will, of course, talk about the weekend. Um, the DAZN cards had two really big upsets. Kiko Martinez. Knocked out Kid Gallahan, and then um, Detroit native Alicia Baumgartner knocked out Terry Harper. Froze her in her tracks. Those were some big, big upsets. Munguia and Rosado pretty much turned out how I thought it would be. It was very entertaining, though. It was pretty one-sided, but it was entertaining. And then on Showtime, the Benavidez brothers, we'll put it that way, were, you know, were in so we'll definitely, you know, take a look at that. Of course, we got to talk about this weekend, though. Preview and predictions for Crawford versus Porter on ESPN pay-per-view. Technically, ESPN plus pay-per-view. Okay, I can't. You know, I'm already going to hear the Crawford, or not the Crawford, but I'm already going to hear. Well, Crawford Porter. I have to. I have to get ESPN plus to do this pay-per-view. What the hell is this? That people are going to say we're going to on Saturday. You're going to see that all over Twitter. Watch. Crawford versus Porter. Terrence Crawford, John Porter. This is a major step up if you look at who he's fought over the lot, you know, over his whole career. Really, today actually somebody uh, somebody disagreed with me on a couple people. Actually, I even got a, a direct message from this. I I tweeted uh, Teddy Atlas called uh, Porter a gatekeeper. And multiple folks said, Where, where's, where's the lie, basically? Like, well, yeah, he is a gatekeeper. And it, it just, that, just, that just cracks me up, dude. But it kind of makes me mad, too, to be honest with you, because here we ask these fighters to fight the best, right? Got to fight the best. Got to fight the best. Best has to fight the best. Well, what has Sean Porter done? He fought Kell Brook. He fought Errol Spence. He fought Keith Thurman. Fought Danny Garcia, fought Ugas, 
And now folks are saying, and we know they're just Crawford fans, obviously. I mean, I guess you could see some people that just are just anti-PBC, I guess. Um, but really, so Porter's a gatekeeper? See, <laughs> you want them to fight the best, but then they lose a couple of these fights. Because remember, some people thought Thurman and Spence should have, you know, one of those should have went to Porter. There are people out there that thought he beat Spence. I didn't think that, but there are people. There's people that said, I don't know if he beat Thurman, dude. Those are close-ass fights. Like I said, Kel Brook, Danny Garcia, Ugas. So he goes out and fights, and now he's fighting Terrence Crawford. And you turn around as a media or part-time media and call him a gatekeeper. Do you know the definition of gatekeeper? <laughs> Come on, dude. Really? Sorry, I had to get that out. We couldn't, we couldn't wait for the Twitter segment on that one. We couldn't wait for the Twitter segment. And it's full. It's chock full, the Twitter segment. By the way, we'll have some current fight news. Um, and if you don't know what the Twitter segment is, it's at the end of the show. We go over, like, the tweets of the week, read some really good tweets. And then also, you know, we'll, we'll have fun and read a, some fanboy tweets. And also some media members behaving as fanboys, which a couple of folks just were calling Porter a gatekeeper. So when was the last time as a gatekeeper, that Porter was fed to a young, unbeaten prospect. When's the last time he was not the A-side? Now, it's funny because the person that direct messaged me, not just replied to me, but direct messaged me, said, dude, he just fought an unbeaten guy, Formelia. Okay, but was he fed to him? First of all, he won, and it wasn't an upset. That You can't be a plus, like, you know, thousand ten to one underdog and and be the prospect that you're fighting a gatekeeper that's not how it works sean porter's not a gatekeeper okay like this this is just silly and like i said a lot of it and some of these people were you know media members part-time media members that's why i'm bringing it up because you're obviously a fanboy and don't get me wrong they're spence fanboys they're crawford fanboys they're pro pbc anti pbc whatever the hell it's just this is so he's a gatekeeper, huh? And then you're going to agree with Teddy Atlas because t- – so Teddy thinks that he's a gatekeeper. And as a Crawford fan, right, like a super fan, I should say, I love me some Crawford, but as a fanboy of the Crawford, you know, Crawford fanboys, you're actually downgrading what's going to be his best win if he wins. You're now de- – all these folks – think, and for good reason, that, you know, Crawford's resume's light. You know, he's had some great performances. He's, the eye test he's passed a long time ago. But now you're going to call his biggest challenge of his career. That's how emotion, emotional some of these folks are. The biggest challenge, where he's going to get all this credit for, now you're calling, oh boy, a gatekeeper. <laughs> Do you even know the definition of a gatekeeper? It's not anyone in the top five or top ten for that matter. You can't be even ranked ninth and be called, oh, he's a gatekeeper. Well, I shouldn't say that. There are some out there like that. Um, but that's when they're way past their prime. Anyway, we are going to preview and predict that fight. I'm looking forward to that fight. That's going to be a great fight, no doubt about it. If this is your first time listening, 
to the Rope-A-Dope Radio Podcast. Welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope-A-Dope Radio. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and Rope-A-Dope and download the show directly there if you don't want to or listen to the browser like some folks still do. You can find the platform on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spricker, a whole lot of different places beyond that. We're also part of the Grueling Truth Sports Podcast Network. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com. And uh, one more thing. If you're thinking about cutting the cord or you have, you're not quite happy, i got something for you. It's called Direct TV Stream. The prices start as low as $69.99 a month. It's the best of live TV and on-demand, no annual contract, no hidden fees. If you upgrade to the Choice or Ultimate packages, that gives you three free months of HBO Max, plus you get to enjoy regional sports networks with no additional fee. And one more thing, and this is for boxing fans too here, if you go all the way to the Premier package, you get HBO Max plus Showtime, which obviously is running stuff this this year anyway, doing a really good Showtime. So Showtime and HBO Max already included in that Premier package. That's direct TV stream. Okay. So like I said, um, this is kind of interesting here. And since we're on this topic, I'm getting a lot of messages, you know, around it. I'm just going to talk about it, okay? We're just going to lead with this. Like I said, I, I normally love to lead or just, you know, lead in the ring, you know. The politics of boxing, sure, they need to be, uh, you know, talked about. <laughs> but a lot of times I like to just start within the ring stuff. But this is a big enough news, I'd say, to, um, you know, to, to, to talk about it, uh, I would have to say, this early. And in that, you know, going off, let's let's address the ben, David Benavides thing. So who does Den of, uh, David Benavides fight then? Who does Benavides fight? Because now that Canelo, Canelo has been approved by the WBC, for those just joining us, uh, to go up to cruiserweight and fight their dub, the WBC champ. Okay? So they also said... And that's um, Makabu. I think it's Makabu. He's a really short cruiserweight, good fighter. I can see why that makes sense at cruiserweight. Um, but they also said the interim belt, right, the almost belt, which puts you in line normally for a mandatory or Ken, normally, not for Dillian White in this scenario, but normally. And they said David Benavides can fight for that title. So so I guess in the meantime, when he leaves the division momentarily, if that is in case, you know, that that's the case, I don't know. Like I said, David Lemieux is ranked number two. I just checked their website. I checked BoxingScene.com. I know they're releasing new rankings, but a lot of the rankings that hadn't moved, and, you know, there would be really no reason for Lemieux and Jacobs to move down. You know, unless they had a, a Benavidez fight planned out and all of a sudden someone got ranked in the WBC this, you know, new. But, I, I, you know, they've been doing it on Twitter. They've been saying the top five rankings and, you know, announcing it, the WBC uh, handle there. So and they haven't posted one for the new rankings just yet. So, but David Benavidez, you know, I say number two and number three because he's number one so 
Lemieux could be called number two, which you'd assume number one, number two, or Danny Jacobs, which, by the way, has a relationship with Al Heyman. You know, he obviously left to go chase uh, big fights like his first time he left. It was against Golovkin, right, on pay-per-view. Uh, then he got a deal with HBO for a couple of Chanko on that. Um, and then, obviously, he, he took the deal with his own. So he got to fight Canelo right away and then fight, what, Chavez and Rosado. So, you know, Lemieux, I, I don't know. Jacobs hasn't looked all that good either. <laughs> you know, at least he's shown life in the last year or two. Two years. <laughs> um, whereas Lemieux, it just seems like, I don't know. Maybe he just hasn't fought as many good fighters in that time, and that's why. And I just have the Billy Joe Saunders fight in my head. I don't know. But either way, um, Danny Jacobs and Benavides would be great. Now, there is a scenario here, and I talked about this a while ago, that Jermall Charlo, who is the WBC 160 pounder, right? He's the champ there. Well, we know you usually get to skip the line if you're a champ you know, this is obviously we're talking about the sanctioning belt WBC. So a lot of times when you go up, if you're the champ, you get a very high ranking, if not number one. So what they could do, technically, is call Charlo could say I'm coming up, and Charlo and Benavides could fight for that interim, which would put you in line uh, at some point to be the mandatory. Now remember, he did fight the mandatory challenger Yildrum last February. So they called it, uh, you know, it wasn't like they just always called it because we always knew he was just chilling there. And when Benavides, you know, missed weight in late 2020 or in August 2020, I think it was, that's when Yildrum, Yildrum was already owed a fight. That was part of the deal. Benavides would have fought Yildrum next. But then that belt went open, so someone had to fight Yildrum. Well, Canelo put his name in the hat, and we got Yildrum Canelo. So, you know, Benavides could get still a – you know, Danny Jacobs would be a step-up fight. Lemieux would be a fight in and around, I'd say, that Darrell range, you know. And then obviously Charlo would be too. So I would take all three as the next fight for Benavides, like I said. It's, I don't know. The Danny Jacobs fight stands out to me, but like I said, his last fight, and he didn't really look good against Chavez Jr. either, but especially this last fight, he looked bad. Now, maybe he was just not motivated, and that, that's understandable, but I don't, I don't know. So I can't really make a big case for him over Lemieux just because, like I said, I mean, they both kind of look old. You know what I mean? If we're being honest, you know, or just like past it, you know. Um, but yeah, man. So that's uh, it is a surprise that he's just going to jump right up there. I, di- I, you know, like I said, I don't think it's a big surprise that he did this. You know, I just thought it would be a little later. Of course, you know, maybe this is the perfect guy to go up to it, just like the first fight at one seventy-five. This is a perfect time to go up, you know? Um, Okay, someone just messaged me saying Lemieux hasn't lost since that. Yeah, but who has he fought? I mean, I remember he fought like 
Gary O'Sullivan and uh, um, he fought this summer. Cigara, I think was that was that who he fought? Yeah, I think that's who he. I think that's who he fought. And that guy's not a bad fighter. I'm not saying that. Um, so yeah, well, to be fair. I did say one or the other. It doesn't, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not putting uh, some kind of, like a way more interest in, in one or the other, you know what I mean? Just because I think they're, they're kind of near the same, uh, you know, I, I get, you know, if you look at the Golovkin fight with Lemieux, Jacobs definitely made it a lot more competitive, you know, I guess that's the, there's probably more head to head, but I'd say that's the best head to head you could have possible. And, um, so yeah, it's like I said, not a shocker. Just surprised that he's doing it right now, and it makes sense. You could still sell it as a big fight. A lot of people don't know this dude, but you're going up for your fifth weight class. You're going up to cruiserweight. When casuals hear about that stuff, and especially like Canelo fans, or even I guess you could say Canelo casuals, where you're like, huh, okay, yeah, I'm interested in that, you know. So basically, the, the 800,000 people that just, how many people could you have come back for this fight? It's interesting. And it's, like I said, it's also interesting that maybe DAZN could get in the mix on this one. Not that they own that opponent or whatever. Isn't it? Wait a second. Is it a Don King fighter? Are we going to get a Don King sighting? I think he's a Don King. Uh, don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on that. And then the other bit of news, like I mentioned, the WBC said, hell no. They refused to call Gillian White as the WBC mandatory to Tyson Fury, and I was surprised. I thought they would. But what their excuse was, or their reasoning, they cited the legal issue, the ongoing legal you know, litigation, the lawsuit that Gillian White, funky because I heard, I believe Eddie Hearn's down. I think Tom Brink's down there, too, at these, you know, the WBC convention. And, you know, what do you – so if you say, okay, we'll drop it, would they call it now? You know what I mean? It's a kind of a funk – it's almost like – I remember Eddie Hearn saying this, like they're having this lawsuit as a backup plan. Like, hey, dude, if you guys don't give it, give it to us, we're going to go right to you, you know? The problem is, you know, in the, uh, the rules, we're going – Back to the rules. This litigation stuff, like, I, I think it's probably written to favor them, the WBC, in their rules. And they're going to say, well, there's, uh, you know, rule 1,052, you know, part 4, dash 9 slasher. It states clearly right here, you know, and it's just, it'll be open and it'll be bad. It'll be you know, it'll be perfectly blanketed to get away with it. I'm assuming, but I'd have to I'd have to do a little more research on this. But this is Ron Lewis from BoxingScene.com. Tyson Fury could make a voluntary defense early in the new year after the WBC decided, you know, against making it the convention in Mexico. Um, and most of us thought he'd get it. Uh, but here's the twist. Like they said, the lawsuit, the ongoing legal arbitration could take months to resolve. Um, they also indicated, and here's the funky part here now. 
when they say they also indicated this, are we talking about the WBC? Or are we talking about Frank Gorn or top rank or something? But this is, this is interesting. So it says, they also indicated that a fight between a pa- uh, the pair, White and Fury, would also see an 80-20 purse split in Fury's favor. And normally, as we know, I just mentioned this, it w- it's normally 55-45. That's the big reason why Golovkin, or Canelo dropped the, Golo- the WBC belt for that first time around, because they're like, dude, I'm not giving them 55-45. And it says the WBC rules about fights between full and interim champions could have 55 per split, although it is at their discretion to overrule. We want to get Tyson out early in the new year. That might be against White, but only having boxed one, in, uh, one time, you know, once in 18 months, we want to keep him active. Um, so, Fury's joint promoters, Queensberry Top Rank, have argued, okay, this sounds like they're trying to get this. It doesn't seem like the WBC quotes. It was kind of fag. Um, that they're, you know, they're, they, that they argue that Fury should get a higher split of purse because he, he was paid $20 million for his last two fights against Wilder, which is lower than what they said before, but whatever. Um, while they claim that White has been paid three hundred and fifty thousand for his fight against Lebeckin, if he's getting three, if that's true, and I, I don't know, that might be just the upfront money to get he gets stuff on the back end, but that was a pay per view fight, so I, I'm not going to sit here and say that's a guarantee that that, that was like that. But if that's a pay per view fight, and he, he's a pay per view guy over there, that's what Eddie Hearn always says. Draws a nice crowd. So that'd be a low ball, but I'm not saying that. I don't know that for a fact. But, yeah, he's saying basically since, you know, even if it was 20 to $5 because I heard he was getting like $5 million a fight. Um, so, yeah, interesting stuff. Um, you know, like, like the thing just said, that they might, you know, be able to still fight, you know, just earlier in the, you know, we could still fight if you get that figured out. And they could just, what they could do is say, hey, we're playing hardball. Drop the thing, and then we'll have another special session. And maybe they're doing that right now. You know, they're at the convention. Eddie Hearn, I believe, is there. They're talking it out in closed doors saying, hey, we'll drop the fucking thing only if tomorrow. Is it just, is there a couple days of convention? Usually it's not just one day, but I could be wrong. So otherwise, it would be kind of a pain in the ass to be like, well, we got to wait. 30 days so we can reconvene and have a meeting. You know, they always have these special meetings and stuff. So, um, a lot of people thought, Will Tyson Fury, you know, that was what I saw a lot of people on Twitter and even a couple YouTube channels saying, Will Tyson Fury just wait? You know, will he just wait for that Joshua and Usyk fight? And it sounds like, from his people anyway, that they're not going to wait. They are not going to wait. So, and by the way, I'm getting a couple messages too. Canelo uh, requested it. WBC approves requ- request. So he did request Makabu. I think it's Makabu. Anyway, he did request it. This is Jake Donovan's uh, work on BoxingScene.com. So he, he actually requested it, and they are approving it. Um, so it sounds like it's going to be in May. Obviously, there's no guarantee. 
guarantee that it's happening, but like I said, it definitely wouldn't surprise me. You know what I mean? And he goes on to say that, you know, uh, in the article, Jake does about Benavides and Lemieux, possibly, you know, because um, that's the next highest ranked contender. So, um, so yeah, that's about it. That would that's that's that one got me. I didn't think he would go. Now, like I said, this fight's not done. We don't know for a fact that it's happening. But, you know, I don't know. But like I said, if he fights in May, September, and then sometimes he likes to fight in that December or sometime early the next year in February, if he fights, you know, if he fights a legit a, a different legit fighter that we all want him to fight at 168 or 175 in September. I know he's going to get a lot of criticism for this because a lot of people haven't even seen this dude fight. And I'm not saying he's a killer. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that either. Okay. Um, but hey, you know, I mean, when you got a name like this, these are the things you do. Why not enhance your resume. I, I'm not going to rip him. I'm not going to rip him. He just took on three out of four fights that were undefeated. Um, two of them were competitive. Obviously, the Callie Smith wasn't, you know. Um, yeah, this dude still six foot, 74 inch reach, which is pretty, six foot is not a huge uh, cruiserweight. But it's not like they're all 6'5 or 6'6 either, right? 74-inch reach is not a great reach for cruiserweight. It's basically the size of a lot of the guys he's fighting, just not the weight part. And this dude has had, you know, that I'm looking at it. I haven't seen him fight, I think, in the last few fights. But now that I'm looking at him, you know, he has had um, his second-to-last fight was uh, competitive. I didn't see that one, though. Um, Yeah, so... Because this, uh, this is who Tony Bellew knocked out um, a chunk of years ago. I really think that was like six, 2016, maybe 2017. But, um, you know, I mean, so this guy's re- – yeah, it was. I'm just checking right now. It, it, he got knocked out in the third round by Bellew who, by the way, you know, looked like crap at 68, looked okay at 75, and then above in the cruiserweight division all of a sudden looked a lot better. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. You know, I I don't, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and shit on him for this fight. I I just, why? Why would you? You know, I, I I don't see why you would. Oh, if he were to fight some random dude after that and then another random, sure. I mean, he's had moments where he fought, you know, Angulo, but then he fought Lara right after it, you know. Amir Khan, you know, at least Amir Khan had a name, you know. That Chavez Jr. fight, Liam Smith. You know, you're not going to fight the top guy out every time. And by the way, this guy is not a complete bum here. Not that any pro boxer's a, a bum. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, it's I don't know. 
I don't. I personally don't have a problem with it, especially if they did it in Mexico City. You know, out in a, you know outdoor arena or something. That'd be dope. They could do or outdoor stadium. Obviously, they're going to do wherever the hell they're going to do it. It's, you know, good chance it's in Vegas. I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see. You know, do you instead of Benavides or Charlo or Biev or Biffle, a lot of people would pay pay per view for that. Are you going to pay pay per view for this guy? Because a fair amount of people know Bellew, and they're going to say that Bellew knocked him out, dude, and he was coming up to a weight he hadn't even been, and so this is all measured. Yeah, some of this is measured, but you know, it's it's a combination of of creating legacy. Like, is this going to put him, like, will I now put him at, well, he's number one pound for pound now. I already have him number one. But if he goes up and beats this cruiser, well, I'd be like, dude, you couldn't pass him even if he loses. No. No, I don't think this is a great fight, but it's not a, it is what it is. I mean, we see this a fair amount. And and I've said it many times on this podcast that if you fight a, a mediocre to decent to okay contender top 10 guy, and then have a big fight. Then go contender, top guy, top guy, contender, top guy, contender. You know, if you fight like that, that's okay. You're going to have mandatory. Some of those are going to be poor. Some of those are going to be mediocre. Some may be really good. So I don't have a problem with it. I am starting to see some folks going, are you kidding me? He just ducked the whole 60, you know, Benavidez and Charlo and ducked the whole 75. You know, if he said, I'm going to go up there, and then I'm retiring, you know, he's already has a great resume. He's going to the Hall of Fame. But then I could at least be like, really, dude? Because that's not what you were saying. You weren't saying that you were going to retire. Now you're going to go skip all these great, you know, fights I want to see, and then and then you're going to retire? And then I might say, well, that's not what you said you are going to do. But in this scenario, you know, he, he's going up to, for another belt. It is what it is. So I don't, I don't really have a big, big issue with that. I'll be honest with you. Anyway, um, we will be getting into some of this action here from over the weekend. David Benavidez, you know, pretty much walked through his guy. But at least it was, uh, you know, oh boy, showed some heart. I'm not trying to, you know, act like Davis wasn't there to, you know, land some good punches and whatnot. But, you know, it is what it is. His brother was in a really close fight against Torres. You know, a variety of folks thought Torres, you know, probably should have won the fight. It was it was a competitive fight. Um, and then Munguia and Rosado we'll talk about. We'll talk about the upsets. Kiko Martinez, big upset. And then uh, Baumgartner, also with the knockout over Harper on foreign soil. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and bring in a great boxing mind, John, to see – Get his takes, you know, we'll talk about the weekend fights and, of course, the Crawford-Porter fight. That's, that's, we're going to talk about that. But we'll start outside the ring with a couple of items here. Going to go ahead and bring in John into the fold. What's going on, John? How the hell are you, man? Hey, Chris. Doing good. Great to be here. Didn't realize our timing this week was going to be right on cue with uh, this big boxing news, which you already started getting into regarding the number one name in the game, Canelo. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And obviously, we'll, we'll talk about that one first. Then we'll talk about the Dillian White situation as well. Um, 
you know, like I mentioned, this doesn't shock me that he tried to go up and do that, but it does. The timing of it does make me not scratch my head, but I'm surprised on the timing. I thought he kind of that'd be like a last type of thing that he would do, but the timing is right because you know, if you like a certain matchup better than you like other matchups, you might as well strike. You know why you can. It's not like it's easy to go beat every cruiserweight or whatever. What are your thoughts on this decision? Um, and you know, overall, you know, I've seen some people going, "Oh, he's going for legacy." I've seen people ripping him. What are your thoughts in general? And then obviously, you know, it leaves Benavidez with the interim belt to fight either you know David Lemieux who's two or Daniel Jacobs who's three. Yeah, the timing of this is shocking. I figured Canelo would do something like this someday. Uh, well, actually, you know, let me say, to tell you the truth, what I thought he'd do at some point, definitely thought he would do something like this, but I thought he would be in, like you said, if the right opponent existed. I, I thought he'd probably take it straight to heavyweight because there's not, you know, traditional, let's face it, Canelo, He's Mexican, but he's a U.S.-based fighter. There's no dispute about that. The cruiserweight division traditionally is meaningless, basically, in the U.S., except, you know, Holyfield was there as a prep for heavyweight, um, you know, then became lineal heavyweight champion. That was kind of a high-water mark for the U.S. paying any attention at all to cruiserweight. You know, Cowie was there a little bit, but, you know, he'd already been a light heavyweight champion. So, you know, there's there's no marketability on its own in the U.S., and that's what's a little bit bizarre about this is the timing, doing it now, doing it now and then, you know, doing it at cruiserweight. You know, Makabu is not that talented. He's got some power, and that's it. Um, you know, he got blown away by Bellew, as, as you mentioned, who was a guy who had fought at light heavyweight. And, you know, Adonis Stevenson had thrown him away. Now, you know, some people say, well, you can't get into triangle theories. No, you can't use them as binding, but I think sometimes you do have to look at things like that. I, I don't think it's fair to say you totally ignore those either. You, you, you know, you look at them, you don't, you don't hold them as binding, but it's, it's, it still can be a guidepost for some things. Um, you know, so Breedis is obviously the top, guy at cruiserweight the real champ you know if you're looking at the cruiserweight division and Okoli has looked real good to me in his recent fights brings a lot of power a lot of size you know Canelo's not looking at those guys um this is a fight I'm going to find this entertaining Canelo taking this fight I think he'll be a big favorite I'll put Canelo by knockout don't have any problem doing that right now uh, if Bellu can knock out Makabu and you don't think Canelo can, I mean, you're crazy. So people need to get perspective. It's not just about size. It's about talent. And people get too crazy about weight in certain situations, and this is one of them when they're you know, talking about just because Makabu is 200 pounds, that that's going to overcome all his gaps in talent. You know, that, that, that's not always the case, and it's not going to be the case here. You know, Canelo's already knocked out Kovalev, so at light heavy. So, um, But I do find this kind of thing entertaining, so I'm going to say that. What I don't like uh, is kind of what you were getting into, Chris, and, and we're seeing, you know, we, we of course we've seen this over the years, but 
I'm a little disappointed that, you know, with, with all the prox- problems boxing can have at times and what the, you know, we really know that one of the major problems with the sport, if, if not the major problem, because uh, you would get, I think, better fights, uh, you know, is, is the alphabet. Uh, because as Steven Espinosa himself said, uh, and Showtime uses them like anybody else, unfortunately, but I do like how Steven Espinosa is cognizant about that and he'll be honest about it. You know, he, he said himself, he looks at things like transnational and the sport should probably get at looking at things like that more. And the alphabet belts are just a marketing tool. It gets into what you've already said. And I think that's kind of the key to this. Like, you know, Canelo, what I don't like about it, I, I, I even find this fight kind of entertaining, but the part I don't like is this, this whole using an alphabet belt as a marketing tool thing. In other words, we know if you follow the sport, you know, damn well, Makabu is not the best cruiserweight out there. He's not even close. Okay. So you know that already. And yet you're going to have, you know, you got the WBC putting all this stuff out all, you know, this guy's the WBC alphabet champ because it is alphabet. No, nobody recognizes Makabu as the best cruiserweight in the world. Nobody. And there wouldn't be no reason that you would. Um, So, you know, so then, you know, you've already got, the WBC and, and people talking about history and multiple weight champs and all that, you know, to me, it gets back to, you don't need a 168. It's a, it's an unnecessary division. It was just created by the alphabets in the eighties, even though it's been around since the eighties, it doesn't mean it's needed. It, it wasn't created for any competitive need. It was just for the alphabets to make money. So again, so Canelo, yeah, he unified that, but it's, it's a, class we don't even need now don't get me wrong i'm a canelo fan and you have to be fair to canelo if you look at canelo's resume compared to the rest of the sport you know even having just done this 168 unification thing he has a better resume than anybody else in the sport you know he's overall fighting better fighters and you got to say that even what he's just coming off of at 168 i mean saunders and plant were undefeated now if there were only uh you know, eight weight classes or nine, you know, would they have maybe been at the status they were at? No, they wouldn't have, but, but they are good fighters and, and they were unbeaten. Uh, it means something. So, you know, he's fought Golovkin, who's a tough guy, you know, obviously a tough guy who's, you know, got a, got a chin and tremendous power. You know, th- these are difficult fights, obviously. So he's fought overall better people than others in the sport, but it's just the sport getting too watered down and and that's what just doesn't give the fans what they really want or should get uh for their money because because it's always these alphabet belts being used as marketing tools and you know i what i would like to see in an ideal world is just you know and you did see it a little bit a few years back when canelo you know just said told the wbc to go screw themselves you know opposite of where we're at now and did that hurt his marketing power at all no, not, not not at all. I mean, uh, you know, he does he doesn't need the WBC. He doesn't need the alphabet. That's why I hate to see this this used as as a tool for marketing for you know Canelo being the biggest name because he needs it the least. If, if anybody's going to take the lead in terms of showing you don't really need alphabets, it's got to be a guy like Canelo. And and you know instead he's going to use this as a marketing tool. Like like you said, Chris. I mean, this would would probably I'm not saying it's going to be there, but 
would be a good fight to be the fight in Mexico. He's talked about having one, but, you know, Canelo fights a lot in Vegas. Uh, obviously, he's popular there, not too far from his Mexican, you know, the core of his Mexican and Mexican-American fan base, which that all matters. So, and, you know, now we've got the pandemic ebbing and you've got, you know, Vegas sight fees, high rollers that want to come in. They want to fill up the hotels. Why I'm saying that is even though it's Macabu, can Cadello, the marketing machine and the money-making machine, really afford to fight out of Vegas? I don't know. You know, I don't know if he can for business reasons, you know, with these kind of paydays. So that's going to be interesting. You know, who's going to promote this? Uh, who's going to set all this up? Uh, I mean, obviously, Canelo and Reynoso have something in mind when they're they're putting this out there. And, and you know, it's apparently, you know, everybody's confirming the news. So it's real. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to get more details. But I, I do find it kind of an entertaining fight. That's uh, the plus of it for me. And, you know, he, he could fight other guys but what, down the line. But one thing I think this means to me is. I do not see Canelo fighting at 168 pounds again. To think that he's going to uh, fight up at cruiserweight, not have to make weight, and then go all the way back down to 168 when he's already been successful at 175, and he's already picked up all the alphabet trinkets at 168, and also become the legitimate champ if you're recognizing the 17 weight classes at that division. No real need to go back. I mean, if there's going to be – of Benavides or even a Charlo fight. I mean, Charlo's not a small guy. You know, he's about six feet tall. Uh, you know, he can say, meet me at light heavyweight. So I, uh, if, if he wants to make those fights, I, I mean, we've seen, you know, Roy Jones, people, I, I did think it even at the time, but, you know, certainly everybody says it in hindsight, but that's one I did think at the time. You know, I've, Roy Jones arguably irreparably damaged his career when he beat Ruiz in a great performance and went back down to light heavy. You know, would Canelo make that mistake at 168 pounds? I don't think he would, but stranger things have happened. I, I guess I'll throw that out there getting way ahead. If he is going to fight at 168 pounds again, and he's doing this, uh, I think coming back down to 168 at that point would be a mistake. Uh, it'd be too much. Uh, you know, you've talked about this too, Chris, you know, too, too much of a, the, the kind of jumping around to different weights, you know, uh, you do a little yeah. bit of it, that's okay, but, but you get to doing too much of it. Uh, I, I, w- I would think that would be a mistake. So I'm going to think he's looking at the smart play and smart play for his body that, you know, I've always looked at this type of a thing. I mean, I think there was people got mad at me when I said it, but kind of proved to be true. I thought, I mean, because he was never affected that welterweight again after that, you know, when, I thought, you know, Kel, Kel Brook had had problems making weight. And when he jumped in the substitute for Eubank Jr. to, uh, you know, fight Golovkin, I think that that was because a payday where he didn't have to make, he didn't have to make weight. In other words, you know, he had to cut so much weight. I think don't, don't underestimate that even for a disciplined guy like Canelo. It's, it's a nice uh, vacation to be coming in at, you know, 190 or 200 pounds. Cause I say 190 cause now the WBC's already making their, their crazy noise. And I, I kid you not about they're lowering their cruiserweight weight limit to 190. Well, what a coincidence when Canelo's going to come up for a fight. Right. So I can't even say with the crazy WBC, if this fight's going to be at 190 or 200 yet. Um, so in the rehydration potentially, I, so it's, it's, you know, for Canelo, it's kind of a vacation, 
that you know he can he can take a fight, not have to have a rough weight cut, and just kind of fight more around his walking around weight. Uh, so I, I mean, you know, let's face that's it, a good call. He's, he's gonna have to because that's four yeah, he's gonna four have to weight cuts in, in under a year. That's four weight cut cuts that he's made. So that is a good call. Yeah, I think when he's talking about and he's talking about maybe. And this would, to me, fit if he really was going to fight three times in 2022. You know, he might be talking with Renoso and saying, "Hey, if I'm going to, I might do the three fights again, but I'm not going to cut weight three times next year. Get me to get me somebody I can knock out at cruiserweight." And they, they Mukabu, babe, came up at the WBC the convention and they signed on to it. So I was probably not a lot more than that. Um, you know, Macabo is not a real tall guy. It's you know, I, I think you know. I, I saw some people tweeting out right after this came out. I mean, this to me is bad analysis. I mean, there, there's no there's no way in hell Macabo is going to be favored over Canelo. I saw tweets coming out like that already. I thought you you got to be nuts. That ain't happening. So uh, you know, Canelo is going to be a he's going to be a favorite. It's just going to be a question of of by how much. And I'll I'll even. This one I'm not worried, you know, about what Canelo, Canel, like I said, he'll be fighting around his walking around way. You know, I'm familiar with Makabu. He's got, he does have power. I mean, I'm going to give him that. He's got power, kind of powerful guy, but that, but that's it. The skill level is not there. The overall talent level is not there. He's 34 years old. He's not particularly, uh, you know, he's not a big tall guy for that division, like in Okoli. So, uh I don't think Canelo is going to have too much problem here, but I'll watch it. I think it's interesting. And as you mentioned too, Chris, you know, it, it is TV is always a big part of all sports, no matter what people want to think. I mean, it's huge. You have to talk about it. I always think because it's, it plays too big of a role. I mean, heck look at the huge role it plays in things like the NFL. So, uh, you know, and it's certainly huge in boxing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you would think they want to go pay per view with Canelo, but then he's got to be, with a promoter that's going to do a U.S. pay-per-view thing, I mean, it wouldn't wouldn't seem to make much sense to do a DAZN type thing in that situation. But you know, Canelo has been moving around lately. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly. That's what I'm going to wait to see in the next few days. I'm wondering what he's got in mind here for the the promotional TV angles because that's always critical, and this money's got to come from somewhere. So, um, but. Yeah, except for the alphabet belt part, which that part I hate hearing about. And, and you know, if this is going to be a fight in the U.S. and, and it is going to be a U.S. pay-per-view or something like that, I mean, they're going to have to market that angle because, like you said, Chris, I mean, no, nobody nobody really heck, – heck, a lot of people in boxing don't even know who this guy is. I mean, you know, hardcore fans do, but, but there's a lot of – pretty big fans who maybe aren't on that level of hardcore who don't even know this guy. So, and like you said, they've never seen him fight. So that's a kind of a tough sell, which brings in the alphabet part that they'll just have to hype the alphabet part. And, and that part I do find a doll. So uh, big news, surprise, surprise at the time. And I hadn't heard about that 190 thing. I hadn't heard that yet. And the USA you are today, right on. And the USA Today guy did, did write it. So, yeah, I hadn't force. heard that yet. Yep. No, you're right. It's very credible. I, I just looked into it, um, and yes, it is very credible. They, they are moving the weight. Um, 
you know. like crazy. It's just like crazy the timing with the the alphabets, you know, the WBC. It's just it is just crazy. So yeah, one ninety, and I and I also did a little research. The last time he's weighed in one ninety one three fourths was two thousand eighteen, so over three years ago. And then before that, then he was one eighty nine. 199, 198. So it was only a couple of fights uh, that he's even weighed, weighed that 190. And if you all of a sudden say, hey, and we have to include the pandemic in here, um, as far as the fight, and let's see, he did fight. Well, he got lucky. He got he, he got a, an early fight in 2020 in January, and then he fought late 2020. So he hasn't fought this year. Um so he may have to cut 10 pounds and then maybe the hydration, too. So, huh. Well, it'll be interesting to see. And they're going to just be like, just show me the contract, you know. They're not going to be, wait, you know, messing around too much and saying, oh, that's not going to work for me. You know what I mean? I, I highly – maybe I'm wrong, but I highly doubt uh, that no. they'd mess around <laughs> and, and lose this, you know. It's Canelo. I mean, we're, 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 the guy can't get anything close to a payday like that at cruiser right. rate. Um, and, and, you know, another thing, I think it always, even though with, I've said it before, with bigger heavyweights, I can see the need for a cruiser. I, so I always accept that. But with that said, I've always said this, and it still holds. You know, you know why it doesn't end up meaning as much as some people still would like the cruiserweight to mean is because, and look, Usyk just showed it. I, I've, I've said this. I've said this for decades, and it always proves true. I mean, if somebody's really that good at cruiserweight, just the way the human bodies work, which was able to be bring power and things like that, they, they're able to compete for the heavyweight division, if not at the top. So, you know, in theory, there's that need for cruiserweight, but the guys that hang around there and don't move up to heavyweight are really not that good. And Makabu is a perfect example of that. So, you know, and that's right. kind of where Canelo and his team know that. In other words, like Breedis has already knocked out Manuel Char. So, you know, he's at the top of the cruiserweight division. He's already knocked out a heavy. Um, and, you know, he's talked about moving up because, you know, he, he's a good fighter. He gave Usyk a real close fight. But, you know, Usyk, you know, many guys have proved it over the years before Usyk. But Usyk's the latest and just give him credit. You know, he just did it. Now, all of a sudden, nobody's worried about Usyk being able to compete at heavyweight or anything like that because there really never was any need to worry about it. I mean, the guy's 6'3", he's got a long reach. Uh, you know, he fought in the World Series of Boxing against guys like Joe Joyce, Junior Fa. Just, but, but he was a, a legitimate top cruiserweight at the very top of the division. Just anybody, you know, look, David Hay had success at heavyweight. Uh, you know, of course, Evander, Evander Holyfield became the lineal champ. You know, Michael Moore and Michael Spinks didn't even fight at cruiserweight, won the lineal heavyweight championship. You know, when you get to a certain size level and you're that good, it, it doesn't mean it's not going to be tough, but you can fight at heavyweight. You know, Tony and Jones, you know, won fights against top ten heavyweights. You know, Jones didn't fight at cruiserweight at that point when he did that. So I'm just saying that these guys – you know, people always say, oh, disrespect the division and stuff. But these guys that are hanging around at cruiserweight for their entire career are just the guys that are not that good. I mean, that's just, just the way it is. Like like it or not, that's because heavyweight 
has always brought the big money. So, you know, if, if it was a case where cruiserweight brought the, the big money instead of heavyweight, it'd be different, but that's not the case. So um, that's why I, I, I thought Canelo might not dabble cruiser, but he's going to use the alphabet belt spin. And I think it's an opportunity for him to not have to make weight. So this, this apparently was a fit for him. So, um, and then on the other side of it, the WBC um, refuses to call Dillian White uh, to be the mandatory for um, Tyson Fury. And they cited that the legal issue, the ongoing lawsuit, uh, that's going to take a little while here, uh, is the reason why they don't want to do a mandatory. Um, I kind of forgot about the lawsuit in the back of my head that he had filed the lawsuit. And I'm wondering if, you know, because I believe from the – I've heard multiple reports that Eddie Hearn's down there. I haven't seen him on camera yet, but um, he's at least got someone probably down there regardless. And I, I'm wondering if they just go into closed doors and they say, you know what, we're going to – I don't think Dillian is – White is there. I'm not sure about that. But, you know, could they just be like, hey, we're going to drop the losses if you call it. Or will the WBC say, well, you know what, we got to now convene and we have to have another special meeting and then we'll come back and announce something, what we're going to do. Because a lot of times that's what they do. They need a little time. I don't know how long this convention is going, but um, any surprise there that Dillian White didn't get the WBC nod when, you know, most people that I talked to, including myself, thought he would be the man to Tyson Fury. The kind of the timing of it's surprising, but, but you, this is very rare. You would hear me say this, but and I haven't read it in depth, but I have seen a bit about these proceedings. And you know, the, being a lawyer who does get involved in my, I do you know pers- a lot of personal injury litigation, employment insurance. In my employment cases, these arbitration issues, these arbitration agreements have come up. It's a, it's a subject for another day, but. You don't like them as I represent employees, individuals, um, but you, you have to deal with them then at times, and sometimes you get forced into it. So why I'm saying is I, I do have some understanding of the, of the arbitration issues from that, and I've read a little bit about this, but without – I can't have people hold me to, like, if, if somebody has read pleadings more in-depth than me because I haven't, haven't read this stuff in depth, but I know a little bit what's going on. I think it does kind of fit a bit. My understanding is somehow now, now I don't know in this instance exactly where the arbitration agreement came from, but I do know that apparently, and it's funny because boxing is a world sport, obviously Hearn and Dillian White are in the UK, WBCs in Mexico. Uh, you, you know, so you've got all these different, uh, different issues in terms of you know countries involved but my understanding was now i don't i'm not sure exactly what triggered it or where the arbitration agreement came from i got to say that but i did read that you know incredible sources that there somehow there was an arbitration agreement or or, or it had maybe they had agreed to arbitrate it and the wbc and hearn and white were in arbitration on this issue about uh, White getting this WBC shot in Switzerland. Okay, that, that that's where the arbitration was taking place. Then 
White's legal team, I recall reading this as well and did see a little bit of the pleadings on this. The WBC apparently in the U.S. is, is a, a, a Florida corporation, and White's legal team had filed what we would call like a dummy suit in Florida in, in federal court to get subpoena power to get documents from the WBC for evidence. Now, I, I, as a litigator, I know how and why you would do something like that. that they think that the WBC has got documents that will help them. They couldn't get it out of the arbitration. They wanted to make sure they get those documents, so they filed a suit to get a subpoena out there to get in Florida. I believe it was in federal court, I believe. So that's where you saw that that, that was ongoing. Now, if I'm right about that was all ongoing, like I usually never believe anything the WBC says, but in this case, from a legal perspective, I could kind of agree that if you're in a fight about whether White gets the shot or deserves it or not, and it's not settled yet, if you're the WBC, you know, they must have had second thoughts on this, I'm guessing, in their legal team. You know, you might not want to be saying, oh, the guy deserves this shot. He's getting a shot now because, you know, that if I'm White's team in the arbitration, I'm saying, well, they're, they're admitting he, why are they fighting us here? Uh, Mr. Arbitrator or Ms. Arbitrator, I mean, they're, they're saying he deserves the shot. He's getting the shot. And like you said, normally that would be maybe a settlement would be, hey, uh, you know, give him this shot. But but obviously if the arbitration's not settled, um, you know, and when we've seen this, you know, there's times it seems like maybe they didn't want White to get this fight. Um and then, you know, recent comments to me from Top Rank and Fury, I kind of believe them. It just seemed like stuff they wouldn't be saying otherwise. It seemed to me like they had kind of settled on White's not that dangerous to Tyson Fury, and I don't think he is. Uh, you know, maybe maybe this isn't a bad fight for us to take. You know, can be sold well in the U.K. Uh, and, you know, Fury's built up his U.S. name. So maybe not a bad fight for us to take in the first half of next year. So that I was just gonna. They were. I'm with you. I, I kind of looked to me like the solution was gonna be they were just gonna agree that White was gonna get this fight. But this makes me this makes me wonder if they want to fight out that arbitration for whatever reason and see see if White maybe doesn't get this fight. But I don't know what for the WBC and Fury that means what 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 they're what they're looking to do. Yeah, and it's not like they're. They're not suing Fury, you know, so right. it's a different scenario because I know we're going to start to hear this too. Well, it's going to be the same scenario because uh, look at Wilder. He got his arbitration. Yeah, but he was suing Fury. You know, he wasn't suing the WBC. So those, those are two clearly, you know, separate entities. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how all this pans out. And I, I really uh, say what you want about Eddie Hearn. There's plenty of positive to negative to say about him. He's a promoter. What's he going to do? But I do, I really want to see his next interview. Just just to hear that side of it, man. Just, it's just entertaining. I guess. Um, yeah, in the ring, really. Wanted, go ahead. No, just saying, I've said it before real briefly. Eddie Hearn's plan for, for years has been, he was, you know, all you got to do is read his quotes. And it's, it's been literally years. He wants to send. He he's wanted to send Dillian White out at Tyson Fury or D- 
Deontay Wilder for a long time. And I think Hearn's philosophy on those types of things always is, yeah, he'll be the underdog. And if he lands a lucky bomb or something like that, uh, then then I've got a guy who's got a win over Fury or Wilder, and I grab an alphabet belt, and then I still got Joshua. I mean, I, I think that has been the Eddie Hearn mindset for years now. But, you know, it, it always told me that he really didn't want Joshua to fight either of those two guys. And I'm not saying Joshua the fighter's scared, but I'm just saying oh, right. it, it just never was part of I don't care what it, what other stuff he said, it was never part of the Eddie Hearn. I don't, I don't think it was ever part of the Eddie Hearn plan for Joshua to fight Fury or Wilder. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we get to the recap of a couple of these fights here from an entertaining weekend, let's switch it up a little bit and go right to Terrence Crawford versus Sean Showtime Porter. This is a really interesting fight. Styles make fights as we know. Um, we're assuming that we're not going to get a Porter that's going to bounce around on the outside like he has a couple of times, maybe that Ugas fight. Uh, we, we assume we're going to get a kind of get a maybe a more uh, fine-tuned throwback Porter where he's not going to you know, smother his work as much as he does. He's going to do it a little bit when you're on the inside, you, you end up doing it, but also not get so far in that he gets held like he did against Kel Brook. Um, I'm hoping that we get a guy that's going to use his up jab and really kind of go at, you know, Crawford and try to make it rough and tumble. Now there's a lot of positives there as far as what he can do when he gets on the inside and, Usually you're in a tight fight and a dog fight um, when you take on a guy like Sean Porter. Now, obviously, with that aggressiveness, that can lay you, you know, in line for a counter and a crisp, accurate puncher um, that seemingly has a lot of power at this weight um, in Crawford. That could cause some problems, too, as far as getting knocked down. A fair amount of people are calling for a Crawford stoppage here, whether it's TKO or straight-up knockout, I don't know. But I have heard a whole lot of that. And I think that's what they're kind of, you know, strategy-wise, kind of breaking it down the exit and O, excuse me, um, that, that that's part of what it is, that he's going to be, you know, slowly but surely setting traps and catching them, you know, kind of like Broner did in that last round. Obviously, Thurman stood up for her and hurt him a couple times, never did knock him down. Spence obviously landed that perfectly timed left hook that knocked him down, but it wasn't like he was hurt hurt like a full it was a knockdown, of course. But he wasn't stumbly after that and hurt hurt, you know, so uh but a lot of people that I see that I respect are saying Crawford by knockout, which I'm not saying it can't happen. But to say it's a wrap by six or eight rounds, any time you know a knockout can happen in the first, you know who knows. But I'm not sold 100% that Crawford's going to knock Porter out. Um, what says you about this matchup here, sir? I see it. I'm with you. I'm not sold on the fact that going to knock him out. Um, I and I, I'm making an assumption here that could be wrong, but I, I've had a little problem personally and, and you know I respect both fighters a lot and uh, what they've both done in their career and uh, their talent level and look you know I think we got to go with the non-alphabet rankings I mean 
transnational, the, the title's vacant. You know, Spence is number one, Crawford's two. Porter slipped to like four with Ugas getting over him, but some people thought it should be vice versa. That's close either way. You know, Porter got the win in a, in a very tight fight, but since Ugas has beaten Pacquiao, just saying that there's no doubt they're, they're legit. And, and I think, you know, 147 welterweight's the deepest division in boxing. So on paper, it's, it's, a, it's a great fight like that. Um, so I want to say that first. But with that understood, I've had a little trouble personally kind of getting into this fight, and, and I've been trying to put my finger on it. Why? And I think it's because I'm making an assumption, and I actually hope I'm wrong. But I don't think that we're, we're going to get that Porter that we saw, say, in the Thurman fight or against Spence with that high level of aggression, uh, who, who's really like a mad junkyard dog in there, who, who you like watching him fight like that. He's only just kind of missing the power when he fights like that. He's not a big puncher, even when he fights aggressively like that, but he brings about everything else. You know, I, I, I saw him pull back in box against Danny Garcia. I thought he was lucky to get that decision. He pulled back in box against Ugas. Thought he deserved the decision, but boy, it was awfully tight and it wasn't a great performance. You know, even against a guy who bring, brought nothing to the table like Formella, you know, he, he didn't get him out of there. He really wasn't that aggressive in terms of the old Porter. And I'm making an assumption here that the age he's at now, that he can't even crank it up like he did in the Spence fight. And the Spence fight was a great fight. I thought Spence clearly won it. He scored a knockdown at the end, but it was a great fight, and Porter fought great. I mean, if that if that Sean Porter shows up Saturday night, we'll get our money's worth, and, you know, he's got a shot. But I'm just – my analysis of this one is and, – and Porter's got the heart, he's got the toughness. But I just think, you know, with that type of style, you know, at the age he's getting now, having brought it before, against a guy like Crawford who has pop and skill – uh, I, I just don't think he's. I don't think he's going to come out like that. I, I, I think he would need to do that to win, and I don't think we're going to get that. I think we'll probably get a little bit of that, and then him pulling back and and boxing a bit, which not because it's going to be that effective, but I just think he's at that stage. That's what we're going to see. He's not a big puncher, so I think what's troubled me with the fight is. I'm making an assumption that, that Porter, say, I'll use those as the examples, like who was in the Thurman fight or in the Spence fight. I don't think that Porter is going to be able to bring it this time. I don't think he'll have so little left he gets stopped. I'm with you, Chris. I don't see it as one of those things. But the way I see him fighting, I just don't really see how he wins this fight. Because, he, you know, if he had the pop, you know, then – then you could say, well, if he had some aggressive spurts and maybe he hurts Crawford, but he doesn't have that kind of pop. Um, so I, I don't think, you know, he's going to be able to do that. Really, if you look at the track record as the years have gone by, even though the fight's at welterweight and Porter was in a middleweight in the amateurs, he's a very strong guy, but he just doesn't bring the pop. I think Crawford's probably even the better puncher at this point. So, I have to think about the stoppage. I think Porter's just, with his toughness, he does have, you know, skill in his way. He's got the amateur pedigree. Uh, he's been a t- even though he's been a top pro, of course, for a long time, um, you know, he's been in with the top welterweights. I, I think 
Porter should be able to hang around for the 12, but I, I don't, I just don't see the path to victory for him in this fight. The only shot he would have is if that Porter from say, who, who lost a tight one to Thurman could show up or who gave Spence all he could handle shows up. But I, I don't think we're going to see that Porter Saturday night. And that's kind of what has me a little, a little bit lukewarm about this one, despite the standing of both guys in the sport. And I just add in conclusion on that, I've seen you tweet about it, Chris, and I think it's worth bringing up with this one. And it, don't get me wrong. It applies to PBC as well. And now the zones talking about adding it. I think we got to get back to, pre-2015 when boxing was having trouble when they did this too much and HBO got out because, you know, everything they had to run was start, that was good was starting to be pay-per-view and the pay-per-views weren't selling. You know, how many pay-per-views can, can the fan take? Um, you know, we're, we're running an off, you know, the sport's running an awful lot of pay-per-views out there. And, and I, I think pay-per-view fatigue's got to set in. I mean, I'm looking at it myself even as a hardcore follower, and you just try to look at it from just the average fan perspective. I mean, you got, you know, Fury Wilder 3, which was a fight of the year, no doubt about it. We got our money's worth. But then you had Canelo Plant. I enjoyed the fight. Um, And, you know, this is still two top guys going at it. It's intriguing. But, you know, then we've got more pay-per-views coming out after this. And you've got Jake Jake Pauls out there in the mix. Uh, You know, how, 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 how much... How much, you know, this, when, when it got too saturated pre-2015, that's when PBC had to get things back to the drawing board. And it worked to get us back to where we're at this point. But now it just seems like we're going back to overload and, and getting back to some of the mistakes that were made prior to 2015. Yeah, I mean, we do have with a one, two, three, Gervonta four, and then if, you know, if people want to do the Jake Paul, I mean, that's still boxing, of course. Uh, yeah, that's five since mid-October. So, yeah, it's funny because <laughs> yeah. we'll go, like, chunks of time without one, and then it's like boom, 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 boom. And, and some of this stuff, obviously, the Canelo was supposed to be in September, but still it would have been one a month, you know, um, regardless, or two at the end of it. Regardless. So, yeah, you make a good point there. And, and I will say this, Spence – actually clearly wanted to fight Porter's fight. So he was actually the one coming forward a good chunk of that fight. It wasn't just Porter coming at Spence. I know a lot of people like to say that. Oh, it was just Porter. He made him fight that fight. I mean, ultimately, you do end up fighting Porter's fight. I'm not saying that. But Spence obliged early on, and so many times it was Spence going right into him. So it will be interesting if he mixes like, I like some of that mixing up of resetting and using the up jab and going to the body and not just getting so close, like I said, that he smothers and, it, and his punches aren't as accurate or, or, or as much pop because you're not able to really cleanly throw those hooks on the inside and whatever else you're going to throw. He's got a really good up jab or just a jab in general. I keep saying up jab, but, um, but yeah, I wonder – like, blending some of it, I think, works just for a different style. But, uh, you know, you're not going to want to bounce on the way outside. There's this weird kick, randomly, that's been coming on your side for, like, the last 10, 15 minutes. I'm not sure if it's just a certain area or what. Sometimes it'll go away, come back, go away. It's kind of weird. 
Uh, it's not that okay. overwhelming, but it, it just kind of threw me off a little bit. Um, but real quick, um, so the Benavides brothers fought, and obviously the main event went, you know, with Kyron Davis went, thought it would. Um, Davis showed a lot of heart. He fired back. He was landing shots back. Don't get me wrong. You know, he's landing good jabs to the body, a couple of nice counters and whatnot. Um, and, and even later in the fight, he was firing back at times where I'm like, dude, how are you doing this now? Eventually they threw in the towel by the, you know, the corner threw in the towel and the jab was dominant like it normally is with Benavides, 45, or 44 to 15, body shot. Overall, he just outworked him. No surprise there. But, and now it's coming real strong sort of randomly. I don't know what it is. Um, okay. I tried to move around a little bit, but. Uh, no, it's all good. It could not be just sure the what's connection doing we got tonight. Yeah, no, it's all good. And But Jose Benavides fought Emmanuel Torres, and that was a close, close fight. I mean, I had Torres early in that fight jabbing really well, just being the busier fighter through the first few rounds at least. I think Benavides maybe in the third. He landed like two or three hard combinations. Um, but then he started kind of getting into the fight finally. I gave him the fourth and the fifth, I think. But by the fifth round, I'm looking at Jose Benavidez, and he looks kind of tired. You know, he doesn't really look like he's in great shape. He's been out for a while, obviously. Um, but he did kind of pick it up a little bit more. I gave him those rounds. I kind of thought Torres, then it was kind of back and forth for a little bit. Torres would win the round, um, you know, like in the seventh, probably him, the, the jabs in the right hands, a couple of nice counters. But then you saw Benavides came on in the eighth. And the last 20 seconds, he was landing combinations, getting to the body and whatnot. But Torres got the ninth and tenth for me. And I think Benavidez just waited too long. And, you know, a draw is better than a loss for Torres, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, I don't know. It was kind of like, of course, Benavidez landed more to the body, 64 to 27. I'm looking at the stats right now, and it was a competitive fight. Two scorecards had it 95-95. One had it 96-94 for Benavidez. I had it, you know, I was okay with 5-5, maybe 6-4 to Torres. What do you think of both Benavidez brothers before we get to the zone stuff? Well, I thought David, you know, looked like he, like he usually does it at the 168. He was allowed to weigh in at 169 for this one. Um, I just think he looks weak at that weight. I've said it a few times. I think the weight stuff often gets overrated, but I think for him, it's just too much of a cut. He was a mid 200 pounds guy as a teenager. And, and it, I just think he'd be better off as a light heavy and just settling in there. But, you know, he, he still does a lot of good things, good offensive fighter, good size for that weight. And, you know, he's shown his good combinations, but he always just looks a hair weak to me that when I've seen him in fights earlier in his career, weighing in the 170s, granted lesser opposition, although not too much lesser, who would you think of some of these guys uh, he's been in with, and uh, look, looks, looks stronger, looks more powerful. Um, I thought Davis started out too much on the bike. That was disappointing. Uh, had a pleasant surprise turnaround, which I wasn't expecting, where, you know, and, and sometimes what I'd say, fake it, you know, uh, you see a guy maybe just trying to make it look good before he goes out. I, I don't think he was even doing that. He he just didn't make a decision that, hey, I'm in this opportunity against a named guy. I'm, I'm going to fight here. Uh, I'm not going to finish it on the bike. 
and and he was giving it all he got. That that was entertaining, and uh, you know he didn't get dropped or anything like that. Um, you know, we look. We don't want anybody getting seriously injured. Uh, you know, boxing's the most dangerous sport. But you know, you've heard me say this in recent weeks. Some Chris, I, I wonder just a hair. I mean, Davis was throwing back. You know, he he went back to the corner, and Edwards was telling him even before that. You know, he was starting to fight back hard, and and you know, he, he's talking about stopping the fight. And I'm I'm thinking, you know. If I'm a guy giving a giving a good effort, and I, I come back and I, I think I, I started doing some good things, and my quarters tell me they're getting ready to stop the fight, that's not very that's not very encouraging, you know. It's like Edwards got focused on that for a couple of rounds and and threw the towel in right at the you know early part of the round that it ended, and and I mean, you know, I I know people got to get paid and stuff, but I mean. You know, why take the fight? You know, there's why are we taking these fights? Why are we having these fights? If a guy's throwing back and he's making a fight out of it and he's showing heart, you know, if he's that overmatched, I mean, why, why is he in there? You know, I mean, we know then it's well late subs and paydays and stuff, but but that's not, you know, that's just not not good matchups then for the fans. It's almost to me got to be one or the other. You know, if he if he belongs in there and and, he, and he's fighting back. And he's given a good effort because he was fighting back right at, right to the end. I mean, what what are, what are we focused on stopping the fight for? Um, and again, I don't want anybody getting seriously hurt or taking unnecessary beatings. But you know, he, he wasn't he wasn't out on his feet or down or anything like that. Um, you know, he's not a power puncher, but the guy was the guy was fighting back. So um, I don't know. I just I think I think we want to be safe, but we don't want to get carried away either. So. Um, I thought that was entertaining. Jose Benavides, uh, he hadn't been looking as good as you thought he was going to be when he was a prospect with top rank coming up. Uh, then ended up fighting better than he had been when he got that Crawford shot. Then off three years. I did tweet out right before the fight. I thought, you know, when he came in at, at 158, over 158, that's that that was a bit heavy for, for him for – you know, where he was at and, and he didn't look good. Like you said, he didn't, uh, didn't show a lot of great stamina down the stretch or anything like that. Uh, you know, not everybody's able to come back, you know, three years off for him, uh, was kind of a disappointment, uh, compared to where, where people thought he was going to be on the way up, you know, as, as a big prospect with uh, top rank. I don't really, in his case, see where he does go from here. Uh, it's going to be hard to make up for, for three years out at his level of abilities and, and really really didn't look good. Like you said, decision could have gone the other way. He was fortunate to get a draw. Um, and, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't against real high-level opposition or anything like that. And, you know, PBC's got a lot of fighters where they can find fights for you, and I think that's the advantage of when you go to PBC. Uh, so, you know, he, he's now with them and his brother's there. He's got that spin. But in terms of in-the-ring performance, I just, I just didn't see anything to be encouraged about. And, and frankly, I don't, I don't really expect anything uh, out of Jose Benavides the rest of the way. I mean, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Moving on to the zone side of things, um, Alicia Baumgartner, Scored a hell of a knockout on the road in the UK. Terry Harper, 
um, I think it was like maybe 20 seconds into that fourth round, a beautiful right hand just froze her. Not just her legs. We always say stiff legs. The whole body was stiff. It was kind of crazy. She threw this, um, Alicia threw this little minor left hook, kind of going, making sure that the fight's going to be over, not going nuts, but she was still trying to do her job. Like, hey, if she's going to stand right there, she's open to be hit. It was a good stoppage. That was a, a really good uh, win there. And also, Kid Gallahan and Kiko Martinez. Gallahan is jabbing, moving, countering, looking pretty okay. You know, nothing crazy, but looking, looking good. Um, I noticed the third and fourth round, you started to see the pressure start to hit home a little bit with some nice left hands, whether they're straight or to the midsection. Um, you started to see... Martinez actually do some stuff. I gave him the fifth round, uh, or the fourth round, I should say. The, yeah, the fifth round. He got back to the sixth. Anyway, he started, like, landing good punches, landed a huge right hand. It was, it was like a roundhouse right hand, knocked him down. Galahad looked, you know, in trouble. And he had just been landing his jab and some nice uppercuts, too, by the way. But then, you know, so, so he's down and not out, but he's hurt. Gets up in the sixth, first couple seconds, hard right hand, knockout. Kiko Martinez pulls the upset. I did not see that one coming. And then, of course, Mungia just staying on the, the zone thing. Mungia and Rosado, it was hard to give Rosado more than one or two rounds tops. Um, I thought Mungia came out really crisp, looked very good. Landed a bunch of different combinations. It's not that Rosado didn't land his jab. It took, basically, he was landing jabs mostly for a while, um, but he did start to become a you know land some combinations. Um, the, the fourth round was really fun. Game uh, <clears throat> kind of looked like he landed a, a pretty good shot with his free hand early in that fourth round. Mungia rallied back, hard left hand, definitely hurt Gabe. Gabe has wobbled, you know, down that, down the, the, the maybe the last handful of uh, seconds or maybe 20, 30 seconds in the fourth round. Landed flush combinations. Overall, though, like I said, Gabe would have his moments where he'd land a jab and a clean right hand or whatever, or, or like the sixth round where he landed like three or four really nice shots. But then Mungia would just come back and land combinations, hooks, uppercuts, right, right hands. Like he was really kind of showing it all. And like I said, the eighth round, that was one where I think you could definitely give the game maybe another one in there someplace. But overall, Mungia looked pretty damn good. And, you know, now he's just ready to basically get the call to see if he can get a big fight. He's, he's you know, ranked pretty high in the sanctioning bodies. What would you think of Mungia and then uh, Baumgartner? And also Kiko Martinez to kind of wrap up the whole disown stuff. Well, yeah, it ended up being a surprisingly that's what's when you get those good surprises. Surprisingly good day and night of boxing. Uh, Bumgarner, you know, with Harper, she literally put her out on her feet with that shot. I mean, you just you just don't see that often, and it was so devastating. Uh, everybody and I agreed. I mean, referee made the right stoppage. I mean, just literally put Harper out on, on her feet. And, of course, she was a big underdog fighting on the road. A huge victory for Bumgardner. And uh, look, 
very good doing it. You know, dominated the fight the whole way before landing the big shots, too. Um, just excellent performance. And then the Galahad Martinez, an absolute shocker. I, I did not see that one coming at all. I expected the fight to be a mismatch. I thought it was playing out as a mismatch. I, I didn't even see Martinez coming on to me, Chris, like you did. I, I just thought mismatch, this fight will be over soon. You know, Martinez got buckled a couple times. And then, you know, Martinez landed a bomb that dropped Galahad. That shocked me, came out of nowhere. And then something that you just rarely see in boxing, very hard to think of times where you've seen it, the round ends and we get the next round starting and instead of Martinez jumping on Galahad with a flurry, he lands the exact same bomb and just puts his lights out. Uh, no flurrying or anything. I mean, just the same exact bomb right on the money and just, just ends it, totally puts him out. Unbelievable finish. That was a shocker. And uh, I keep getting to this theme, but I think it's a worthy theme. You know, of course, Galahad was holding a belt. And, and you know, Martinez not in anybody's rankings, not in anybody's legit rankings. You got to, again, it's just, how the weight, all these weight classes and all the all these belts and and I say all these weight classes now featherweights are traditional class but things get watered down from the the added alphabet classes you have around these weights. Um, just saying that because there's no dispute Galahad was you know near the top of the featherweight division throughout the alphabet belts even without alphabet belts but um, you know. Getting knocked out like that by Kiko Martinez, yeah, you can have upsets, but just kind of the thing. Then when you look back and you look at the resumes and you say, you know, how how, how in in hindsight, you know, how good was he? And I know that you say, oh, he had a close fight with Warrington and that, but but you know, Warrington himself had gotten an alphabet belt through a big upset and, and wasn't regarded as much more than the club fighter, even though he was undefeated. He doesn't have any power. Um, you know, when he burst onto the the you know world ranked scene, so it just it makes me wonder a little bit when when you got a guy. I mean, because let's face it, you you really can't get away from it. We we saw what Leo Santa Cruz and Gary Russell did to Kiko Martinez. I mean, both you know wasn't even both stopped them and wasn't even competitive. So you know we're, we're talking about a we're talking about a pretty big we're talking about a pretty big gap there. For, for a guy, Galahad, who was, you know, ranked near the top of the featherweight division and had an alphabet belt. And then, you know, Munguia and Rosado. I, I like Munguia. I, I get mixed emotions about some of these performances. I agree with you. This this was a good example to point out. Really a great fight, but, you know, Rosado just wasn't winning rounds. And uh, he, he landed some big shots on Munguia, some real big shots, fought well. Uh, but just just wasn't winning rounds, so it was a very competitive fight. But the decision outcome wasn't in any kind of legitimate question. Munguia clearly won it, so I think that's a good fight to to point out. We've talked about that before. You can have a very competitive fight, and and it doesn't have to be close on the scorecards. And and I think this was one of those types of fights. But you know, with Munguia, I have mixed emotions. I I see some improvement, like others do, with some of the technical things he's doing with Morales and. And, you know, Morales is doing a good job of getting that stuff across, but I still, I'm still not sure if, if he's as effective as he was when he was m- more bombs away 
with his father in his corner. I mean, maybe that didn't always look as technically pretty, but the guy was the guy was pretty darn effective bombing away, and, and it seemed to me uh, that that sometimes he he just was more powerful fighting that way. So you know he's still powerful, but you know again he didn't he didn't drop Rosado, and you know you're not going to get it in every fight, but I think for a power punching guy like Munguia, um, you know when I when I see fights like that, you can't knock everybody out, but still. Uh, you you would think maybe he would put a little more hurt on Rosado, though. You know, he was landing a lot, and I'm sure he hurt him during the course of the fight. Uh, finally, what I'd just add on that one is he was extremely competitive and fought well, and, you know, he's just coming off a real big victory at 168. But with that said, at, at you know, age 35, I mean, I, I'd, I'd kind of like to see maybe Rosado hang it up. That's up to him, and you know, he just got a big pay, a good size payday with this fight. I think six hundred thousand, and you know, he's going to want to maybe keep going, understandably. But um, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. You know, he's taken a lot of shots in his career. He took a lot of shots in this fight. Um, the guy's got the right to do what he wants, and he might feel like he's kind of peaking in terms of uh, his name now. But, but I, I'd like to see him maybe thinking about calling it a day. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's an interesting take. That is an interesting take. I I, I wonder. I mean, you know, at some point, you know, <laughs> it's gonna add up. And I know he got into the sport late and all that, but uh, yeah, it was a one-sided fight. It was entertaining, but you, it was so tough to give uh, Rosado more than just one or two tops, Rosado. Um, but I I kind of it's kind of interesting because. I think there is a is a nice balance in between for Munguia. I see what you're saying, no doubt. I kind of like how he's, uh, I don't know, I, 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 you know, defensively, like we've mentioned, he's not going to be some kind of great defensive fighter. But I, I think that for a 12-round war, which is what a lot of his fights are probably going to be, of course, if he fights an outside boxer, he's going to have to go chase him down or whatever, and we'll see how he can do that. But... I do think he's improved. I think that they're minor improvements, but I see your point about, well, maybe he hasn't made it, you know, enough improvements to all of a sudden be able to knock down a bunch of shots coming at him and, and, and move his head a bunch to where maybe he should just go to his style, you know, even though maybe he lost to Hogan potentially. I don't know. Um, but that's his style, so why not do that? And some of that 154-pound, you know, he's looking better at 160, and maybe that is being so young, and, and, you know, maybe that cutting to 54 was starting to catch up with him. But, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe it is time to just hang him up. You 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 know, you've definitely uh, put in a lot of effort over the, these last, you know, eight years or whatever. So we'll see. We'll see where that, where that goes. Any other items before we uh, let you go here, sir? I think that's about it, Chris, because I think we got to touch on, uh, you know, everything going on, Cadello, the, the pay-per-view situation. So uh, I think uh, we've touched on it all for this week. There you have it. Will you uh, enjoy the fights? We'll talk to you next week. All right, Chris, thanks for having me, as always. Have a good night. All right, take it easy, John. Take care. All righty. Um, real quick, um, the WBC 
he has officially ordered Virgil Ortiz Jr. to face David Avanesian in a welterweight final eliminator. And that would be, you know, to get a guaranteed shot at, well, the WBC champion, which is Spence. It doesn't mean he's going to get a shot at Spence per se. We don't know. We don't know if Spence is going to hang out for a couple more fights and go up to 54 or not. I'm just happy to hear that he, he might be able to be back in February. That That's a big enough step there. But just officially, uh, the final eliminator, Virgil Ortiz and David Avenesian, regardless of what it leads to, I, I, I wouldn't get caught up in that. I just think that's a good fight for, for young Ortiz. And, you know, Avenesian, you know, a lot of people have liked what he's done of late. So it's like, well, you need a big fight. This is a pretty big fight for you if you get upset you know, a, a young prospect like this who shows a lot of promise, then, you know, you're going to you're gonna make some noise. Um, let's go to the phone lines. I believe I have Matt from the Most Valid Opinion podcast. Uh, he's been waiting patiently. What's going on, man? How the hell are you? Hey, what's going on, Chris? I'm, I'm happy to be on here. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to follow John. Uh, he... Wow, that was riveting stuff, man. He he went through everything. Although, it was a couple of things he said I really didn't agree with in the Canelo situation. I don't sure. think this Canelo let's fight get, is let's happening. Let's get into that. Yeah, I don't think it's happening. I think he's you don't think so? using it. No, I think he's using it as leverage. That's all it is. So, who were the names they spoke about? Arthur Baderbiev. ESPN's not paying Forty, fifty million for that. Dimitri Bivol. We already know the zone's not paying forty, fifty million for that, or he went went back to PBC uh, to the negotiating table. So to me, he just doesn't want sure. to be negotiating against himself. He wants to make it seem like he has another option out there. So I think the uh, Makuba Makabu. Uh, so how do you pronounce the name? I apologize. Um, yeah. I think this is just a smokescreen to use as leverage in negotiations with PBC. You know, that I like that angle. And that is something that, because I do, it does surprise me that he'd do that at this time. Because I've been the one saying, do your stuff at 68, and when you're ready to go up and maybe face those guys, then just go up and stay at that weight class rather than some kind of bouncing around type thing. And it wouldn't really make sense to bounce all the way up to 180 or whatever he's going to weigh in and then come back down, especially to 68. I did, I did uh, agree with what he said, uh, John, about that. Like, he's not going to come back to 68 if he goes to cruiserweight. But, you know, that's a good point, Matt. That's a really good point. And why not add a little bit more leverage in there? I think it's going to be a Don King comeback, dude. This is all a ploy oh to get Don King back in the business. <laughs> I'm hearing about, you know, offers coming from the Congo, Matt. Yeah. Uh, you know imagine. there's a big offer from the Congo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love to know They're building who the stadium made the offer. right now exactly. in the Congo. Oh, man. That, that, that was very interesting. I thought it was pretty exciting. But here's the thing. So the WBC said that they approved of this matchup. But if right. we remember, uh, Makuba, Makabu, is it Makabu or Makuba? I think it's Makabu, but I'm not sure. So we'll, we'll go sure. with Makabu. So 
Makabu has the mandatory against uh, Chu Chu. See these names, these cruiserweights. Yeah, we need I know. Some I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Dude. Had, I, I ducked. I had, ducked that name. I ducked that name, man. I ducked it. I was on box truck. I was like, yeah, I'm not saying that shit. I forgot how to say yeah. it. Um, but it's a rematch, Batman right? Story. It was a uh, rematch, yeah. wasn't it? No. Yeah. But I did see and that it's first. supposed to be his but. mandatory. And the WBC, literally an hour before they announced the Canelo approval, said that that fight is going to take place at the end of January or sometime in February. So how... Huh. Can they approve Canelo to fight Macabu when we don't know if Macabu is going to be the champion? Are they going to overrule their own decision to give Chunchi's uh, uh, team more time? Or right. I, I don't know what's going on with that. But I thought that was pretty. And obviously they also, make up the rules as they go. But but that is a yeah. good point. I'm starting to I'm starting to go down your lane here, man. I'm starting to think that you're right here. Now, um, on the Billy and White thing, first of all, the WBC absolutely 100% did the right thing. Uh, I'm sorry. They're supposed to name this guy the mandatory when he's suing them so that he could go to the arbitrator. Hey, listen, they said I deserve it. Uh, Not only do I want this mandatory spot, I want damages for lost wages. Because if you think about it, He's not just suing to become the mandatory. He's claiming that the WBC has basically screwed him out of the mandatory at every turn. So he's going to try to say that because of this, exactly, he's going to try to say that my purses would have been a lot bigger over these last two years if I was the mandatory and I would have got my title shot. Um. Also, I do find it ironic. It reminds me of the old cartoons with Alma Fudd sticking the shotgun through the hole, but then the shotgun curls around and shoots him in the butt. Uh, Julian White, <laughs> it is very ironic that the heavy lawsuit that you filed against the WBC keeps you right. from being named the mandatory. I'm going to tell you the number one reason why. They did not name him the mandatory. It is because they were never going to name him the mandatory at this convention. I believe what they were going to do was they were going to order him to fight a final eliminator, as they should. Because to me, once you got sent up to the heavens with that uppercut from Alexander (laughs) Pavetkin in August of 2020, to me, that resets yep. the clock. It resets. So you yes. can't just you go, take a step yeah, back, get back in line. Yeah, you, you can't just beat Povetkin, who could barely breathe and, and walk to the ring. Oh, you okay. can't beat him in a rematch and then expect to be automatically named the mandatory. They always said interim champion does not equal mandatory. Number one contender does not equal mandatory. Only mandatory equals mandatory and it's up to our discretion. I think they were going to order Wilder versus White for that mandatory position. And Eddie, who probably has people down there, like you said, 
was like, hell no, we just want to be made mandatory outright. So what they said was, we're not going to address the mandatory situation at all. So I think that just because of those words that they put out, I think they were looking to name a final elimination bout for that mandatory position at heavyweight. That makes sense, too, because, you know, a lot of people from the U.K. and some of the PBC haters here talk about that 1,000-day, but we know he got a tighter eliminator with Luis Ortiz. You know, he had other ty- he could have got the IBF route, which is the most strict route to fight Pulev. You know, yeah. notice how Pulev got his shot, didn't he? You know, exactly. IBF doesn't mess around, as we know. Uh, not only that, but he got a $5 million offer, and we can – you know, there's there's the debate and argument. Has, you know, it should have been a little more for the rematch with Joshua because that's a big fight over there. But he was offered a rematch for like five million dollars to fight Joshua as well. So it's yeah. not this low is me scenario that they've been talking about. And Eddie Hearn has to get some new representation when it comes to lawyer stuff in general and courtroom and all that because <laughs> this is not working out for him. He's got to figure you know shit out there. I don't know how they do it. Know, Maybe they still got the wigs and shit in court there. I don't know. But those, exactly. those white wigs, that we're not in that time anymore. But the funniest part to me about the Dillian White mandatory situation is he could have become the mandatory outright in 2000 and what was it, 17, when Luis Ortiz tested positive for heart medication, wink, wink, when he tested positive and he got pulled from the original Wilder fight, Bermain Stavern, who had a contract with Dominic Brazil to fight for the mandatory spot, was elevated to the main event. Dominic Brazil was left holding a contract for the mandatory spot. Nothing was stopping Dillian White from stepping in to fight Dominic Brazil as the co-feature of Wilder versus Severn. Nothing was stopping that. Instead, they chose to fight Robert Hellenius. Awesome. Great fight. I'm glad you got the victory. But you right. passed up a shot to become mandatory back when you claimed you should have been mandatory. So to me... And um, I, I used to be like an amateur writer for my own boxing website. I wrote this article called The Curious Case of Dillian White because I wonder, is Dillian White a case of just all shucks bad luck? Or is it because Eddie Hearn did not believe in him financially at first? He did not believe he would become a commercial uh, draw that he did not invest the money that it took early on in Dillian's career to get him these opportunities because Dominic Brazil asked for $2 million. He paid a couple million for Charles Martin to fight Anthony Joshua. Why couldn't he pay a couple million for Dillian White to fight Dominic Brazil? Deontay Wilder asked for $5 million to fight Dillian White. Oh, no, no, no. Wilder, your biggest payday was $2 million. You're not worth that. Fine. Right. So what is it about Dillian White 
that Eddie Hearn doesn't want to make that investment. Yeah, he did want other people to make the investment, and like John said, to win that WBC so he can bring it back and unify or, you know, undisputed with, uh, with AJ. And let's not forget, for two or three fights, Luis Ortiz was in the matchroom stable when they were calling mm-hmm. him King Kong on uh, yeah. HBO. And uh, I didn't hear too much about Dillian White saying, I want that fight. This will get me the rematch or whatever. You know, I like Dillian White watching him fight and everything like that. And he's a funny dude. Don't get me wrong, you know. But you got you to gotta dig a little deeper in some of this stuff. And, and that's a great point you just brought up, too, that hasn't even really been brought up a whole lot. Now, what was that article you said, the, the Curious Case of Dillian White? That's yeah. what the article was? Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that was located where? Yeah. Okay. On my old All website. Right. It's not even active anymore. I'll send, I'll send you the original. I, I just, okay, cool. I just, I've always found it so fascinating how, especially British fans, everything is woe with Dillian White. You, you hear, oh, Dillian White's been hard done by the WBC. No. What's happened is, Dillian White hasn't had the same money invested in his career because he wasn't looked at as someone who was going to be a commercial success. So why would Eddie Hearn invest that? I think that Eddie Hearn is legitimately surprised that Dillian White has basically become the second most bankable star in the UK. He wasn't expecting that. That's true. That is the point. He he wanted to put him against AJ. So early, they would have built towards that. No, that's a really good point. And you know, he's a promoter. He's trying to save the bottom line and stuff like that. He, you know, but let's remember, not only did he short shortchange Jillian White in that rematch, which I think that's arguable, but we know what he did to Wilder because remember, like you said, it was five million, then it was seven and a half, then it was ten, then it was fifteen or twelve or fifty. You know, he kept going up all the while, Matt. He knew that this zone was chilling with all this money in like a couple months, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and their first offer was 40 mil. But yet we got to hear on Twitter and all these damn, you know, IFLT interviews that IFLT interviews that, you know, that that five million is like, you know, take it or leave it now type shit for Wilder. Meanwhile, it got all the way up to 40 million, you know, and this is the yeah. same Eddie Hearn. You know, he knew he had that one, in his one back thing. pocket. One thing I say about Eddie Hearn, he has got the PR game on lock because <laughs> he's got it on lock like Drake, dude. Yeah, he's like the he Drake of the UK. Lock. Yeah, he really is. He got it on lock, man, because you would never hear any of this stuff, and he won't even be asked the question because you know uh-huh. what? He is very affable. I've, I've interviewed him before. He's very affable, very nice, charming guy. Yes. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Definitely. He was very charming when I met him. Uh, right. Even I had to uh, do a double take. Like this guy's actually, this guy might take over U.S. boxing. He had me going for right. a second. But mm-hmm. then it's like, when, like you said, when you dig deeper, when you get beneath the surface, you realize that these guys have been playing with a house of cards that finally collapsed, and <laughs> he got mm. outmaneuvered with Devin Haney. He got outmaneuvered with Dillian White, and it's just 
it, it, it just happens to him over and over and over again. It's so true. Now let's we've been talking outside the ring. Let's get in the ring, shall we? Crawford mm-hmm. versus Sean Showtime Porter. I love this fight. I'm so glad it's happening for both guys. I love that the tickets Absolutely. are going well in Vegas. I mean, this is a positive thing. Sometimes you, yep, they priced it right. And by the way, let's not forget. Now we know Spence and Crawford. We know that's not a fifty-fifty fight money-wise. We get that. But Crawford always has had a nice, solid home base. And when he's gone to Vegas, he almost got to a million-dollar gate. So he's got a fan base. It's just mm-hmm. not Spence's, but it's a fan base, especially nowadays yeah. boxing. Let's not take that away from Crawford. So you put it together, it's just like Thurman didn't have this major ticket-selling audience, but when you put him and Porter together, all of a sudden the ticket sold. And that's been the biggest thing to not allow Crawford to keep gaining in popularity is because, you know, he mm-hmm. needs a dance partner. And here he is with a dance partner. I, I, I'm really happy for it overall, and this is a great uh, event. But who, who, who wins this fight and how, Matt? Tell me, tell me this. I, I think that this fight is going to be won by Showtime Sean Porter. I think mm. that he's going to get the stoppage late. I think he's going to be, he is going, like, like I tell people to buy Terrence Crawford dinner, take him out to, to dinner, take him out to a movies before this fight because he is going to be so close <laughs> up on this guy all night that they should have went on a date first, okay, because it's going to, this is going to be pure violence, and I'm here for it. Um, now, the reason why I think Port is going to win is, I think he's too active for Crawford. If you look at all of Crawford's fights, how many fights has he thrown over 400 punches? Maybe one? Uh, I haven't seen any at welterweight where he's throwing a lot of punches. Sean Porter, he he's good for 600 to 700 to 800 punches. Okay? Yep. Even, he was able to keep up with Errol Spence who throws the most punches mm-hmm. in the entire welterweight division. How is Terrence Crawford going to be able to keep up that pace? How is Terrence Crawford going to be able to deal with that patented overhand right that Sean Porter has? Crawford has always been a sucker for that overhand right, okay? And I think Porter is going to get up in him, He's going to tire him out, and he's going to get him out there late. Mm. And this isn't a, a Gamboa or Mean Machine uh, right hand either. This is a little bit Mm-mm. different, a little more accurate, a little bit more, like you said, right in your face. That's why this fight does it for me, man, because I really see it going both ways. This whole, man, today I had to defend myself a little bit. You know, there's getting defensive and there's defending yourself, right? And mm-hmm. so these folks out here, and some of them were media members, talking about, because I said Teddy Atlas just called Sean Porter a, a gatekeeper. And a handful of people Whoa. replied saying, where's the lie? I got a direct message saying it. That's exactly what it is. It's like, dude. And this one wow. kills me, Matt. 
all, we ask for all the best versus the best. Fight the best versus the best, and don't worry about your O. Sean Porter goes, Kell Brook, Thurman, Garcia, you know, uh, Spence, and now Crawford, and now you're calling them a gate. Yeah, I mean, even Devin Alexander, when that meant something, he fought him. And I just, God, that just pisses me off, man. It'll be the same people that'll say best versus best. Best versus best, man. We need it. What's wrong with these modern day? It's Floyd's fault. You know, this type of shit. Yeah. It's all Floyd's fault, but then you're going to call him a gatekeeper, you know? Well, Man. he must be the greatest gatekeeper of all time because <laughs> right. I am no super excited about this fight. I will make sure I will support this fight legally. Yes. I will purchase it yes. through ESPN Plus once I figure out how to use it. I really think <laughs> yeah, right. this fight was more widely available. Uh, yeah, I'll yeah. be honest yeah. with you, I'm a Luddite, man. I am remote in hand, turn on the TV, right. the and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I am. So I'm going to figure this out. Maybe I'll have my 10-year-old son figure it out for me. There you go. And I'm (laughs) I'm going to watch this one, man, I'm telling you. Any other items that you'd like to address here, sir? Uh, Virgil Ortiz, David Avenesia. Good fight. Honestly, I was hoping they would order Virgil versus Boots, but... You know, who does Boots have been lobbying for him down there? Nobody, really. You know, he he just basically is getting out of his legal situation with uh, Chris Middendorf. Uh, So, you know, I heard Cam Duncan's been sick, so he's not going to be down there. So it's like, who does he have to really fight for him at these conventions? But I like the Avenesian fight. Avenesian basically... Ruin Kerman uh, Laraga, uh, who people mm. thought was going to make some noise on the world stage. Will he be able to ruin another prospect that is looking to become a contender? I mean, that's a, that's exactly what the pitch is for this fight. That's exactly what it is. That's why I like the now, fight. I hear you on the boots thing, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. That's what I wanted to see, but, you know, there's a time for that. But do you think this fight is actually going to lead to a Spence fight, or do we think Spence is going to be up at 154 by the time this mandatory situation is settled? I think he'll either be exactly what you're talking about, he'll be up at 54, or they'll just be able to, because, you know, they still got to call it and all that, and there's a process when it comes to that and all that. Yeah. They got to fight, obviously. So I think that if there's a unification or a potential knock on wood, undisputed at the end of the year with Crawford Ooh. or Porter, right? Yes, um, then I uh-huh. think they'd find a way not to have that fight happen. Um, so either way, he's not. I don't think he'll be fighting them, whether it goes to 54 or it's just a super fight that has enough money where they can break Virgil off or something. Now, do we think this fight is a step up for Virgil? Or is it a lateral move as compared to fighting uh, Edgidus Kavalioskis? It feels like a lateral move, I'd say. I think that's a fair assessment. If some people want to call this a more step up, okay, um, sure. But, you know, I mean, I suppose uh, Mean Machine, you know, he hurt Crawford. 
a lot of people thought he lost to Ray Robinson or, a, or it should have been a draw or whatever. Or no, it I wasn't a draw. Was it? Oh, no. What's that? I thought he lost to Ray Robinson. I did, too. I did, too. I thought he did. So, I don't know. I think it. I think I, I kind of like the lat. It's probably a lateral, more than likely. So I Maybe think a little smart step for the up. kid. Because with the kid changing trainers, you don't want to fight someone too, too tough when you're in transition when it comes to basically your fighting style and strategy. So, you know, it's a good move for him. I'm happy for Avanesian. He he really earned it. Yeah, he, he, exactly. He got it out the mud, man. I'm happy for him because he's been beat at the top level before. He just went back basically to the bottom and worked his way up. And here he is back again, uh, basically on the big stage. He's going to get his shot to buy for a title, basically. So I'm happy for him. You know, it's a really good boxing story. And it's also, it's also basically the O really doesn't matter. You know, as long as you keep fighting the fights, you fight the best available competition, you know, you make weight, you do what you got to do, huh? the opportunities are out there for you. I concur, man. I think that was well said. Any last words uh, before we get you out of here, man? Uh, I appreciate you calling in, yeah. by the way. Not, not really. Not. Well, I listen in usually on uh, the Go Long uh, Media Channel. What is that? Uh, Blog okay. Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah, I, yep. usually, I usually listen in on it. I have listened in through my phone before, but I, I just had to get it on this one because it was just you and you and John was just spitting, spitting, man. I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta get it on this one, man. But that's that's really. I'm just happy that you let me get on the airwaves. Yes, sir. Most valid opinion podcast. Am I right? Yes, sir. That's a great title. I like that. <laughs> that that fits so perfect. I got the most valid opinion. Yeah. I like it to still an opinion, though. Still an opinion. Yeah. It, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's law, but it's valid. It's valid. All right, man. Well, enjoy the fight this weekend and hope to hear from you soon, man. Take it easy. Appreciate you, man. Take it easy. Yes, sir. Once again, that was Matt, Most Valid Opinion Podcast. Not only knows the shit, but he's a funny dude. Just that Elmer Fudge thing with the shotgun. I mean, that shit's funny. It's not always what you say, it's how you say it, or your delivery, or the idea. And that's He's full of that. He's full of delivery. He's full of great takes, funny takes, kind of over-the-top takes sometimes. But you can hear it, the passion, the emotion. He's definitely good shit. Like I said, once again, the Most Valid Opinion Podcast with Matt. So check him out. Follow him as well. Uh, um, he definitely is, is, you know, I hear him a lot on Chicken Talk, too. Shouts out to Chicken Talk, too. I think I've said that one other time. I, I've been meaning to send a shout-out to all the lefty and everybody because that's good shit, too, man. It's, it's nice that uh, you guys got a platform. And uh, it's picking up steam, and it's it's just it's a good, you know. Sometimes they'll have a title of something, and they'll be talking about that, but then they move to another one, and another one, and another one. And I gotta jump in there. I still haven't figured out how the hell I, I just turn the shit on, and I'm actually not. I gotta anyway. That's that's my own thing. <laughs> anyway, um, 
we got some time left. Okay, now here's my prediction, okay? I'm going to give a, a shout-out to uh, Portland 503 as well to see. Um, maybe he's at, at work and whatnot. Um, let me make sure I'll send him a, ta- a text. Um, so anyway, I do think this is going to be a very competitive fight with Crawford and uh, Porter. Oh, someone actually messaged me saying, Avenesian, uh, that's right, I forgot about this. I remember the Lamont Peterson loss. That was a good, hard fight. I remember, you know, of course, he kind of came on the scene with that Shane Mosley win, Avenesian. But he did get TKO'd by Mean Machine. Um, so we got we to gotta remember that. I did kind of forget that. But the Josh Kelly, you know, the, the, the his last one, the Liam Taylor. So, yeah. Um, no, but I, I don't know, man. I'm... I'm kind of torn on this fight. I do think very highly when it comes to an eye test with Terrence Crawford, the switchability is is so smooth, obviously. Um, something that it took a while for me to say he's, he's a top five pound for pound guy only because he got hit too much. You know, seeing what Gamboa was able to have some success and hurt him. At 135, we know Gamboa, featherweight's his best but weight. Even 130 is better than 135. And it's not just that one fight. You saw him struggling. Uh, and it's not just hitting the canvas, you know, on some uh, flash knockdown stuff that we saw throughout his career as well. But he was getting dropped pretty hard. And, um, and then, you know, a couple of those early fights on HBO and whatnot, like he was getting hit a lot, you know. And... And I mean hard, you know what I mean? Like hard flush shots. Now, of course, you're going to get hit. But it was a little like, uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But the the post-all fight, the Victor post-all fight did it for me. It really did. And post-all is a quality fighter. He's taken a lot. You know, he's been there. I mean, obviously, the Matisse win was big. But he's also fought a lot of guys close beyond that. And what I liked is he switched, though. You know, he was able to box on the outside, and Postal coming forward is just not the same guy. I thought he lost the first round to Postal. He didn't necessarily go on his bike the whole time, but he just fought in a different way. And I was like, oh, okay. So he's, he's more versatile than I thought. And, like I said, the southpaw, switching the southpaw and whatnot, you know, of course, that plays into it, too. His accuracy, his IQ, I mean, he could time so well, right when you think you're hitting him, boom, he's knocking you out or hurting you. And, you know, this run of 47-pounders, you know, Jose Benavidez, back then, you know, I know that he even says it, and I know you're going to promote a fight back then. I remember ESPN saying, you know, oh, the, you know, one of the hottest young prospects in the game, and like he was going to be the next superstar. That, that, to be honest, that was bullshit. But I get it. We hear that stuff all the time. I'm not trying to rip him, but he, you know, he says, well, nobody had beat Benavidez, and I beat him, and you know, um, the Diaz fight was very that that Cuban uh, amateur that gave Lamont a damn good fight. That he handled him. I was a little surprised how easy that was. Um, the Delorme 
did land some really good shots, and they got knocked out. Obviously, the Horn fight, you know, a variety of these fights. And, you know, the Amir Khan fight, by the time he fought Khan, eh, you know, um, same with Kel Brook. You know, I mean, he, he was losing a couple rounds, and then he, he hurt him and finished him. But when you look at Kel Brook, he hadn't made that weight in a long time, over three years, and it is what it is. I'm not trying to destroy some of these opponents, but that's why he could never be pound for pound right now for me, number one, because of the resume. When Postal and Gamboa are your best two good quality fighters, I went to a, a damn Gamboa fight. You can look it up, and I'm in like the, I don't know, second row right when he, he, got, he got knocked down in that fight and it, it ended up you know knocking him out. And you could see me and my buddy saying, you know, come come towards us. You know, time to time to finish the fight. You know, when you're when you're screaming at someone to come forward, go go. You know, you could actually see me on HBO, um, in the crowd. You know, I'm not saying that at the ABCs or anything like that. And Angulo fought that night. And actually, this is like the second or third time I had seen Sergio Martinez, and but I'd never seen him live. And I was like, oh wow, this dude's something different, and then we saw where he went. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, and he was all slick that night after the after the fight, too. A lot of people were getting a lot of attention. Anyway, I kind of went all over the place there. All right, so, um, you know, part of me does want to pick Porter, and I am, I, I'll openly say I'm going to put some money, you know, on, on him as an underdog. I really think that you, you do. You do have to. I, I think that, um, Sometimes this stuff happens in boxing when a guy hasn't faced the best or top-level guys. And you're, you're looking at a, a plus 410 is the lowest you can get him, right? Plus 410. Uh, five Dimes has him as a plus 600, 6 to 1. Most of it right in that 450 to, to 500 range. Uh, FanDuel has him plus 410. So don't go to FanDuel. Normally, I'm not saying that, but, it, but if you are going to pick Porter, don't go to FanDuel because that's the most money. So, um, there's just, like I said, the jab, the ability to get inside, and also what Matt said about, you know, the combination punches, the work rate, the chin. I mean, he hasn't been in the ring with this guy like that on the pro level. He just hasn't. I know a lot of people will go, oh, you know, Jeff Horn was a big dude, and look what he did. He bullied, you know, Manny around. Well, one, I thought he, Manny still won the fight. Two, it didn't really look like Manny had trained like crazy for that one. I'm not making excuses, but it kind of looked that way. But I thought he I thought he won the fight. But he wasn't, you know, Crawford wasn't going to allow that. Crawford and Pacquiao are two different fighters as far as they, what they want to do. Now, I do like the reset and the pivot and the clinch game, especially the one-hand free clinch game, we need to see, like, Sean Porter 3.0. We already know what 1.0 is coming to take your head off. And he's going to smother himself. Shit, he may punch himself because he gets so wild, right? Porter 2.0, that's more of what you saw with Danny and Ugas, where he can be on the outside. He can move a little bit. I thought he blended it nicely against Danny. I didn't think what he was doing against Ugas was all that great. But then again, 
coming to Ugas is what what Ugas wants you to do. And you could see Ugas coming forward wasn't as good, you know. And you know that was a toss up fight. You know, I, w- I would have been okay with a draw that night. That was a toss up fight. If you had Ugas winning, Porter winning, I get it. I get it. It was a toss up fight. But the 3.0 would be using that jab, resetting, moving a little bit. But br- I'm talking that old school. Bring the heat. That Birdo fight, <laughs> Alberto's like, what in the fuck is going? Like, I mean, you know, head in the chest. And if stuff happens, stuff happens. And I know a lot of people, oh, that's dirty, Chris. Okay, but we see that shit every week. Hit him in the hip. One hand free. Okay. Canelo just elbowed plant. <laughs> I'm not saying he tried to, but that shit happened. Remember when he threw that right hand and it looked like a nice hand? Right hand and it was elbow. Remember Floyd, you get close to him? Boom, he put up that, that that forearm right in your neck. So, shit happened. I mean, look at what Fury was doing to Wilder the, most of the fight. It was dirty, grimy shit, but that's how, that was the best way to win. So, he needs to be on his dirty, grimy Ohio shit. He definitely needs to do that, uh, Porter. But with the jab, and I think he can do a lot of it. So... I have some some personal bets, and this is usually what I do in this case if I can. Put, put some money. You know, he's such a strong favorite, uh, Crawford, that you know you got to put even more money to make money. Whereas you can just go straight up bet for bets, you know, and then you can make your money on the back end in case you know Porter does beat him. So would I be shocked if Porter beat him? Hell no, I wouldn't because I've seen Bud being enough competitive close rounds where I'm like, man, dude, you know, like it's okay to get dropped and hurt like Mean Machine did to him. I know a lot of people want to ignore that, but that that was a knockdown. Knockdowns don't get called all the time. It was a knockdown. But my thing is, what also makes him a little vulnerable is the, the, how mean he is. The anger level. Not anger like, oh, he's angry. He can't control himself. I'm talking about, like, mean. Like, he is a mean dude. And he doesn't like to get embarrassed. Who does, right? Unless you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> but he, I could see him. If, if he's moving a lot because he got tagged early and the crowd's going, I could see Crawford going, nah, fuck that. I'm fighting also see him get buzzed and saying, fuck that, I'm going in, I'm going to brawl back. Time to brawl back. I could see him get caught up. But what I don't see, and maybe this was this is where I'm wrong, but I don't see is him getting caught up for the rest of the fight. You know, within rounds, yeah, I do actually see that. I think he could. But I think the adjustments he's made, and I make that post-stall adjustment, and, you know, on the move the whole time, I guess you could say we haven't always seen him on the move the whole time, especially with a pressure, fi- a pressure fighter that knows exact that's his style, whereas we know post-style coming forward isn't all that great. He wants to be at range or in the middle of the ring, a skill fest maybe slowly prying forward. Um, he did some damaging stuff to Matisse, whether that eye was okay or not, but he had a damn good fight there. But I wouldn't say he went and you know, cut off the ring and all that. So... I am going to pick Terrence Crawford. I think it's going to be by decision. Um, 
I could see a majority decision or a split because, you know, um, wasn't it a split decision against Spence? I don't think I don't think Crawford is gonna the whole fight fight the way Spence did though. I'll say that. I don't think he's gonna come charging at him all the time. I think he'll charge at him if he's hurt, or if he got hurt, maybe then he would. But I just think he's got he's just got so much versatility. And the second he comes to his corner, they're gonna tell him that dude get the f out of the way. Now, like I said, we haven't seen him move the whole fight. So maybe he's not an elite level mover on the outside the whole fight because he likes to bang. Not bang, but he likes to knock, try to land a, a powerful punch. That's what he does like to do in most of his fights. To get him the tit for tack, he wants to get you back. I'm not saying he's just going to freaking swing for the fences, but he, he'll try to get him back and fairly early, I'd say. So good, like a great competitive fight. Some of these rounds are going to be so fun. And I think the closer Porter is to him, beyond the smothering, right? It's the better, though, because you don't want to be on the edge of those counter, like, super accurate punches that Crawford's more than capable of landing over and over and over and over again. So he's got to rough him up, be grimy, be dirty, have Crawford looking at the ref, have Crawford trying to get dirty with you. He's got to make it ugly got to make it ugly. But I do think Porter or Crawford just has enough to has enough to to get to to do what he's got to do and it will kind of come across as like the Thurman fight there were some folks I had it like 7 to 5 maybe 8 to 4 but it was competitive as hell. I had to Spence uh, Porter 7 to 5 but it was competitive as hell. I couldn't go 7 5 for Porter in my mind against uh Spence or against Thurman, to be honest with you. But even if you went draw, obviously with Spence, it'd be a knockdown. That would be different. And I got to admit, some people think Porter beats Spence just because they're Bud fans. And I'm a fan fan of all these fighters. You know what I mean? So I'm not worried about this or that or that or this. And I get it. I'm not trying to pick on Bud fanboys, and that's it, because Spence has plenty of them, too. But one thing I do know is Sean Porter is not a fucky. And I don't think he'll get to the point where he is a gatekeeper. I think he'll – obviously, he's got other talents that he's already making money on. So, anyway, I got Terrence Crawford. Uh, I'm going to say majority decision, you know, split decision maybe. But probably like a, a clean seven rounds. But that's where I'm – I don't know. Will it be a draw with a knockdown? Will it be eight? But Crawford here, and I did forget to talk about this. This is something I've talked about a lot. This is your time, Crawford, to go ahead and separate it and do like a 10 to 2. Or TKO, knock him out, whatever. I mean, if he can go 10 and 2, Sean Porter, that says a lot. Especially if he doesn't do it in the way, and this is kind of an American thing, in the way Kel Brick did it. Now that jab and the right hand and the clinch, that shit was that shit worked really well, dude. Really well. And I don't think that they fought again. I don't not now, but you know, I think that Porter's improved since then. And I think he he he, he can't be clinched as well as he used to be able to, as easy as he used to be. But Kel Brick was a big dude too, so I don't I'm not saying it's easy to clinch uh, you know, Porter. But man, Crawford has 
great, great opportunity here to separate himself from all the welterweights, whether you think he's going to be number one after this fight, if he does that, whatever. The point is, boxing is, especially on social media, what have you done for me lately? Janet Jackson, right? What have you? You know, I'm not going to sing for you. You you can catch my drift. This is all grift, isn't it? You catch my drift. Um, But, man, Crawford can really, like, what have you done for me lately on Twitter? Like, going, oh, shit. Dude, Crawford's going to knock Spence out or some shit. I mean, you'll hear a whole lot of stuff. You'll hear a whole lot of stuff. I just think the versatility of Crawford. All right, 503 Portland, get your motor ready. I'm coming to you, Hostway. Portland 503, what's going on, man? How the hell are you, buddy? Yo, yo, what up, what up, Chris? Uh, yo, I'm doing good here in cold-ass Oregon, uh, but I hope you're doing good. Chris, how how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, it's getting colder and colder. Uh, the old man winter showed his teeth. I did see some yeah, snow right. in the air. Luckily, it didn't settle. But, yeah, it's getting it's getting a little crisp in the air over here in Mini. Yeah, bro, no kidding, man, it's changing. But, bro, let's get into it. Hell, uh, a lot of news, a lot of uh, boxing. But uh, before we get into the boxing, I just want to mention uh, the with the pound-for-pound king, right, he had uh, um, the, some news today, and it looks like he's going up to Cruiserweight against, uh, you know, the uh, of the WBC champ there. Uh, I think this is, yeah, no, you know, uh, this is pretty cool. It might take, uh, you know, to me, I have no problem with it. I think he, if he wants to take this kind of, uh, this is kind of an easy fight with a, with also a, uh, a belt attached to it, like he, uh, and a legacy attached yep. to it, you know what I mean? So um, it's all to him, you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't see other fighters even doing it. So, uh, you know, this is this is still a challenge. I mean, that dude's a big boy. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, cruiserweight, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, it's, it's pretty up there in weight. So Canelo has a pretty good challenge up there. Uh, so I, I'm not mad at it. And uh, and also, you know, like like Charlo uh, at that epilogue, I, Chris, I don't know if you got to see, they were, uh, they were you know, mentioning that, oh, I could beat them or oh, I could beat uh, Canelo. And, uh, uh, you know, they they got to start moving up in weight now. It looks like you got to follow this guy. If you want the Canelo fight or, um, you know, uh, if that's what, you know, if that's the end, uh, the end game for them, uh, you know, they got to start moving up in weight, it looks like, you know what I mean? Because, damn, it looks like maybe Canelo um, is maybe getting out of 168, uh, you know what I mean? Like, maybe 175 is going back to it, uh, you know, if he, if he does go back down in weight. Like, man, uh, holy crap. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but, yeah, shout-out to shout out to the king, uh, Canelo. Uh, shout-out to WBC having their uh, their convention today, which was just pretty cool. Um, you know, you got all the champs. Floyd was there, made a speech. Uh I didn't hear it, but uh, from what I uh, saw from the headlines, it's pretty uh, pretty nice. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, and uh, yeah, shout out to them, shout out to WBC, and also let's get to the uh, this weekend's fights. What can I say? Um, let's start. Uh, also, let me mention first uh, the uh, Alicia Baumgartner uh, versus Terry Harper. She turned her into a turned Harper into a statue there to get the to get a finish. 
That's man, the definition that's of being out on your feet, right? Yeah, that man. That is the dude, definition dude, of cold. being out on your feet. Uh, yeah, bro, that's the definition. Man, her eyes are closed. She looked like she was sleeping, sleepwalking there. Uh, man, but man, that girl holds power. Uh, shout out to you uh, for uh, for that one over and overseas too. You know, in America. And so you know, shout out to you, uh, Alicia Baumgartner, for getting that one. And um, but yeah, let's uh, the other week. Uh, I mean, this weekend. Uh, I mean, uh, this is this past weekend. Also, we had uh, uh, David. Uh, hold on, uh, the, the showtime. I want to start with the showtime real fast first. Uh, Jose Benavides, uh, Francisco Torres. This, you know, this is a pretty entertaining fight. The way Jose Benavides fights, and I think it makes it entertaining. Um, he doesn't give you, you know, your usual boxing look, uh, your, you know, your traditional look, but, you know, he goes in there more of a, a street, I got to say more of a street boxing style, you know what I mean? Like just kind of not, uh, your, uh, a lot of basics, but, um, you know, he, he's going to be in there to, uh, to fight you. And, uh, but, uh, Francisco Torres, you know, put it on, you know what I mean? You know, a lot of people, uh, had it a close fight, but in my opinion, I thought Francisco Torres, uh, should have should have won that fight um, uh, decisively. I agree uh, because this, you know, this fight, you know, a lot of this this fight reminded me a lot of Brandon Rios versus uh, Richard Abril, like exactly the same, almost like obviously Jose didn't have the same style, but uh, Francisco, like you know, just was you know landing clean punches, you know. Um, uh, I, I just believe, it, but obviously Jose, this is the you know Arizona. I believe they're in Arizona. They're the hometown. Uh, you know, why not? Uh, you know, you should, you know, if you know boxing, this is expected. Uh, A-side treatment, in my opinion, uh, but obviously Mexicano, he gets it. Uh, so uh, we're happy over here, no problem. Uh, Jose Benavides moves on, but that was a, I thought that was a tough fight uh, for him. Um, but uh, the draw, it looks, yeah, also, the, the, I mean, they scored the draw. I mean, they, they scored, the, the judges got it a draw. So, uh, you know, it's it's funny. But whatever, uh, the, you know, they, the Francisco Jose Benavides moves on. Uh, with the PBC, which is nice, so he'll be, hopefully he, be nice if he stays active. You know, don't um, don't go missing. And also uh, the the main event, uh, David Benavides versus Kyron Davis. Uh, you know, I like this fight. He's obviously uh, Kyron. I never heard of him. I'm not gonna lie, I've never seen a fight of his before this one. Um, he replaced what's the name uh, Ogastiki. Uh, you know, Gostiki has some uh, man. Uh, what a uh, dumb idiot! Like uh, taking EPO and. Um, you know that's uh you know that's crazy. I mean that's in my opinion. If you're taking that like holy crap, you gotta, you know you're you're putting your health on on the line and uh, and also coming in like pretty deadly in a fight like where you're not gonna you know you're coming in there pretty, you know uh you have a, a full tank you know so um but uh but he good good thing he got caught because and that was you know that was that would have been a crazy uh a crazy ass fight. But Kyron Davis re- replaced him. Um, but you know this guy gave a hell a hell of a fight with Benavides. You know, obviously David was the the big uh, big favorite in this fight. Tyrone, I, I I thought uh, he gave it a pretty good counter. Stayed in there. I thought the you know I thought the uh, the stoppage was a little too early for me. They let the guy uh, kind of um, come back if he wants to. Uh, you know, let him get let him let let you know these referees are getting too happy with uh, uh, stoppages in my in my opinion a little bit where they're letting a fight stop on their feet where maybe they should let them uh where you know where they should let them um uh go down once and then and then see after that but uh but that one uh i, I just thought maybe Kyron deserved a little bit more just because you know this is his big opportunity um i would have liked to seen if he uh if you know i mean if maybe if it went a little bit more since he would have maybe uh let david gas out 
you know, because uh, you know he was throwing some uh, a lot of the combinations there when he when he had him up against the ropes. And uh, David Benavides, man, I, uh, you know, I, I got to critique him a little bit here too because I thought, uh, you know, um, he he, in my opinion, he might have missed the weight just a little bit too. I but I I would have liked to seen him made the full 168. Uh, it just seems like 169. Uh, he because he, he showed up at 169. I just think that's showing up lazy. Like I thought, you know, because you're a uh, obviously it wasn't for a belt. Uh, it was t- scheduled for ten rounds or whatever. But uh, I don't know. It just seemed like it would yeah, be more better if you were, re- were ready. Sure, but they did. I go mean, ahead, no, that was ahead. a late second. That was a late second adjustment though, because once it's a non-title or an eliminator or nothing like that, then you you only mm-hmm. have to make 169 technically. Oh, so he, okay. he, that was an adjustment that he made. He just didn't take that extra pound off. That's all. So he didn't. He didn't miss oh, okay. weight or anything like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. And uh, but you know, David. Uh, David looked good in the fight. Uh, you know, uh, he got the stoppage. So that's what. That's the only thing that matters. Uh, obviously, Mexico, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny how he's got the other uh, the other flag shut up out of nowhere too. So you know, shout out to. Uh, Ecuador, I, I believe the flag is, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, uh, but you know, David, you know, uh, you know, I, I want to just critique him a little bit more too. I thought he had, when he had the uh, the post fight interview, I thought he had more of a chance to call out call out Canelo at that moment, and I would have loved it. And and I was hoping if he he did it in Spanish and uh, called out Canelo, called him out and said, you know, the, you know, put, you know, let's, uh, you know, like call him out, let's. let's you know who's the who's the the biggest Mexican or who who's got the most Mexican uh you know who's the the biggest Mexican in in, in boxing and you know boxing history for Mexicans or whatever. So I would like to see him maybe do that. Uh, but he didn't. I, he didn't. I, he didn't do any of that. Like I thought his call out. Um, I, I felt like he called out uh Charlo uh, more, a little bit more just because he called him a pussy. You know I I thought <laughs> you know I thought that yeah. got Charlo's attention more. You know what I mean? Like so uh. I just and and plus, I mean, Canelo uh, moved on anyways. It's just uh, um, uh, so I don't know. You know, this following year, I would you know I would want David uh, Benavides and Charlo fighting each other, man. It's uh, you know it seems like Canelo's going a different route now, and uh, they shouldn't be uh, waiting on this guy. You know, like this. Uh, I think you know Benavides. You know him being a big guy, I think he should try to move up to 175 and uh, you know try to capture a belt there and get Canelo's attention. Um, because I, 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 I don't know, man, maybe I just, uh, that him coming down to 168 after this seems kind of like almost, uh, um, I, I don't know if he's going to do it or not. You know what I mean? So, uh, there's a lot of questions after this one, you know what I mean? Cause that's a, that, what a huge surprise from Canelo. You know what I mean? Like that was, uh, that was out of left field for my opinion. Cause I thought he was going to go to 175, staying at, stay, stay, going to 175 or going back to one or going back to 168 to defend the belts. But. Um, I don't know, but that's just my opinion for David Benavides. I'll just tell him to go move up and, you know, try to get better B uh, or uh, Bivol, uh, you know, try to get one of those belts, uh, you know what I mean, So uh, in, in this coming year. And uh, Charlo, uh, you know what I mean, they, they tell Charlo to do the same or try to go, go after Benavides because, man, it just, I don't know, maybe uh, those fights for uh, Canelo Benavides and Charlo is not there anymore um, from which, what it looks like to me. And uh, But also, uh, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to the real uh, main event of the weekend. I think, in my opinion, uh, a real Mexicano right here, but born in the soil. Uh, Jaime Munguillo versus Gabriel Rosado, Mexico versus Puerto Rico. Man, this is a fight. This is uh, definitely a uh, fight of the year candidate. 
Uh, man, uh, you know, we I saw a lot of improvement in Munguia in this one. Um, man, he looked he looked sharper. He looked crisper. Uh, he looked like he had a, another second gas tank in the in the late rounds. And man, but man, you cannot not respect Gabe Rosado for how much heart and, and determination he gave into this fight. He gave it blood, his 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 soul and spirit into this fight, man. Because holy crap, there was moments where I was scared for Hyman. I thought he was going to get knocked out with one of those clean ass punches he was landing on him. So, uh, but man, what a fight! Uh, Mangia uh, moved, you know, uh, what got the decision on that one. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was just it was just an amazing fight for uh, for for my take, man. Because that that one kept kept us on our on our feet, man. Because uh, there was wobbly, there was, uh, there was moments where, uh, you know, Munguia, holy crap, man, uh, those those, uh, those right hands from uh, Rosado was just, you know, looking incredible. But uh, Munguia moves on. Uh, still, you know, uh, you know, there's the there's a Canelo fight possibly in the future for him. Uh, I, I don't believe he's ready. Uh, you know what fight I would love for him to take, man, and I would love to get for him to get the uh, Demetrius Andrade fight or Triple G fight just because they're all kind of in the same realm, the zone. Uh, I just feel like those fights are more possible than anything with the PBC right now. Um, uh, you know, get you know try to uh, try to snatch up the Demetrius Andre belt, um, and then also get uh, try to go after Triple G. Uh, I think those are the fights to be made in um, 2022 for him. He's a young kid. Uh, I, I believe he can get those wins and grow. And also, uh, um, but yeah, shout out to shout out to, to Jaime Munguia for getting that one for Mexico, man. Um, so, uh, but also Rosado want to shout out to him for, you know, like, like I said, uh, giving his heart and, and soul into it. And, you know, I like that mentality right there of, of, of a fighter right there, Gabe Rosado, man. And, uh, holy crap, this guy is, uh, that's why he was, a uh, man, that's why he was a live dog in this one, man. That's all I got to say. And, uh, but, uh, but also, man, uh, this weekend, like, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Andrade fights, uh, what's the name? Quigley. Um, I, I'm hoping for Quigley to get this one. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, Demetrius Andrade, uh, so I'm hoping uh, you know uh, Quigley gets this one. But uh, and also uh, the the big enchilada for this weekend, uh, Terence Crawford versus Sean Porter. Now this fight, holy crap, it's, it's made this it's this weekend. You know this one, this one, man. I don't know who to pick on the. You know what? I'm gonna go with uh, Terence Crawford just because uh, you know it's, uh, he holds the. Uh, the A side card uh, here. Um, this is his hometown. This is the ESPN Plus uh, pay per view. Uh, you know, so uh, I'm going to go with Terrence Crawford in this one. Uh, I believe he. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with the, the a decision on this one. Uh, I, I think it's going to take. Uh, I don't think he's going to get a knockout against Sean Porter. I think he's uh, he's fine the best. So I, I just don't feel like maybe uh, Crawford. Uh, you know, if, if if Danny and Thurman ain't knocking him out, so. Uh, I don't think uh, Crawford uh, gets the knockout over uh, Sean Porter, but uh, this should be an entertaining fight, in my opinion. Um, I don't, I'm not too familiar with the with the under the undercard, but I'm hoping for uh, for knockouts and spectacular and for, and for some fight of the night. So you know, um, that's you know that's what it is. But uh, but yo, Chris, I uh, just want to thank you for having me on. Let's put something in the air this weekend. Thank you, uh, you know, Viva Europa Dope Radio and Viva Mexico, cabrones. Yes, sir, man. You take it easy. I'm I, in just a matter of time. I'm gonna be putting something in there, no doubt about it. Get a little something to eat, and then do my thing. Shots out. To, so this is a little bit more uh, background that I had no clue about Canelo's potential opponent at cruiserweight, Makabu. 
Makabu. Um, his father, this is from Corey Erdman. I think it's Erdman, right? Erdman. He does a bunch of stiff boxing scene.com. Big time. Okay, so here's the thing. His father is the king of the providence of Kanaga in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So his, his, his father is a king of a providence. That's part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And then he adds a little, he claimed a few years back to have a South African wife. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe if he's the king, he can, you know, maybe Don has talked to him a little bit. And all of a sudden, they're going to be able to put a nice, like a huge, huge, you know, bid his way. No, I don't think so. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, the more I think about what uh, Matt said earlier, you know, maybe, I don't know. I'm kind of in between on this because I think he's going to do this. But I wonder, you know. And it, do, it does set up now whether it's David Lemieux, Danny Jacobs, whether it's uh, Charlo coming up, um, Bivol and, and Bitev can fight each other now in this meantime. Like, it is time for those other guys to start fighting each other. Then maybe they can earn the shot instead of just having to wait because that waiting game can be funky. Sometimes it works, works sometimes it doesn't. But don't get me wrong, I get waiting for it if it's right there. You know what I mean? People on Twitter and myself, I just got done saying it, they can talk a big game, but until you're in that scenario and you know you're possibly next year you're getting Canelo one way or the other, you're probably going to take that. But anyway, um, the night before in Manchester, New Hampshire, the zone has uh, Demetrius Andre, MJ Akhmadalov is fighting. Uh, Julio Cesar Martinez in McWilliams Arroyo should be just a fun-ass fight. Kalia Reese and uh, Jessica Kamara. That actually should be a good fight to a women's uh, fight for the WBO. Or WBA and then a vacant WBO. Um, hopefully we do get some you know interesting fights on the undercard, but there's not a whole lot of other fights going on beyond that uh, this weekend. Oh, uh, actually, tomorrow Tim Zhu fights anyway. Not that anyway. Uh, Takashi anyway, though. I forgot about that, so it's nice that he actually gets a fight. Uh, oh, no, wait, what am I thinking anyway? <laughs> Tim, too. So that was supposed to be, wasn't that supposed to be a PBC uh, Harrison? That was, I think that's the fight they were kind of getting down on, thinking about making or, or him talking about it. Because remember, they said they got that $10 million. Since the last time we spoke, uh, Canelo and Plant did it's on track to reach 800,000 buys which is pretty freaking crazy um there was a report from someone that does some work at espn that i don't know if it's true or not he it's not like he's tied to espn that's it um but he said he this is his tweet terrific performance 800,000 pay-per-view buys 400,000 digital and obviously it sounds like anywhere from 17 to 18 million dollars um, you know, at that gate that we mentioned, which was huge, too. But if that's true, half of the buys were digital, which I don't know that to be true. I'm just saying if that is true, holy shit, that's a lot of money. Because remember, 
they don't they get all that. They get oh they don't have to split. The app doesn't have to be split with the cable companies and the cable operators. Those platforms you don't have to split anything with them. That's take home. Um, here's an announcement recently anyway. I think a few days ago, Chris Eubank Jr. will face Liam Smith December 11th in Cardiff. Um, there's a new rankings for the WBC. I don't know if they're any different, though. Maybe Frank Sanchez. Anyway, it's uh, the interim, Dillian White. Number one, the number one ranked, well, Dillian White's not ranked. It's the interim belt holder. But number one is Deontay. Number two is Joe Joyce. Number three is uh, Andy Ruiz. Number four, Parker. And number five, Frank Sanchez. Um, a couple other news items here, and then we'll get to the boxing Twitter segment. Um, oh, by the way, Glazer said it's actually only $750,000. That's close. It's only a difference of 6%, but they, they got it wrong. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um... News-wise, I think, oh, um, Jose Zapata is now going to be mandated as the mandatory for the WBC champ, Josh Taylor. I don't know, you know, I don't really know when that's going to get actually. It got called, but is it going to get, you know, it got ordered. So time frame-wise, is he going to have to drop that belt? Because obviously he may get he may get a little break there because he's hurt, you know? So I don't really totally know exactly what that's all about, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and otherwise, uh, let's see, boxing Twitter segment. I don't think there's any more news that I was going to get to. Um, so, oh, this is, so this is Adam um, Saturday Night Boxing. So Porter has sparred Plant, Andre Dur- Andre Durrell, and Gervonta Davis. That is pretty damn good sparring. I know Porter said that we haven't necessarily had the top sparring the whole like being able to keep someone there the whole time. That's on the super high level, but that's pretty dope. Gervonta uh, sparring uh, Porter too. That's pretty big. Canelo versus the cruiserweight no one's ever heard of can happen in December 2020 or 2022. No need for that in May or September. Let's not get silly here. You know, it does kind of feel like the the May, September, and then do that in December or early January, February, next, you know, the year after. It, it That would be, you know, that would be better. <laughs> but, you know, um, it is what it is. As long as he fights someone solid next, I don't mind it. Um, saw a rumor that Canelo is going to be fighting at cruiserweight. Even if he wins, he'll be shortening his career as an elite fighter, just like Roy did, because if you bounce up and down and all around, someone else said to that tweet, I think Canelo is close to considering retirement, so he's just going for it. I think he knows that the risk because of the Kovalev fight, Team Canelo initially said they wouldn't fight. 175 anymore. Uh, Macombo isn't even the best cruiserweight, and he's only six feet. He's a, it's at 190. No one except for 
hardcore fight fans ever heard of this guy. I hate this event. I hate this event. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I, I don't know about all that. Oh, boy. Here we go. Now, here's some Canelo hate. This is just bullshit. <laughs> Canelo really crafted his way to titles. Jumped up to fight Cotto. Waited until Benavides lost his title to jump up. Dude, first of all, he had already jumped up past 168. Benavides to, to drop his title. Benavides dropped his title twice, one for cocaine and one for missing weight. Canelo wasn't just – Benavides-Canelo wasn't a fight that the last year or two we've been all been talking about. This has to fight. This has to happen, and he ducked him. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, picked off Kovalev, who was in significant decline. Yeah, if you're going to 175, I don't mind that. It's not that big of a deal. Fans were super critical of Tank moving up to fight Berrios, super critical of Mayweather opponents. And people are going to be critical of this, and I get it, um, especially if it's on pay-per-view or something like that. But that's way over the top. Um, Breadman, Canelo is smart. He's going to force the candidates from 160 to 175 to fight each other in order to earn a chance to fight him. Now we're going to see who the real fighters are. No more waiting for the lotto ticket. And, you know, that is a, that's a firm thing. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. I just mentioned Peter Bear, Bivol. All right, let's fight. Benavides, fight Danny Jacobs if Charlo doesn't come out. David Lemieux, fight someone, you know, to separate yourself. I, I agree with all that stuff. And, and to Benavides' credit, by the way, He's been saying that, too. I'll fight Charlo to get to Canelo, you know, and that's fair. I can see why at 160, going up another weight class, Charlo would probably just want to fight Canelo, too. But, hey, that would be a pretty big fight right there. Terrence Crawford is one of boxing's biggest lightning rods. Opinions on him range from he's the best welterweight to ever walk the earth to wildly overrated. He can make things very clear in the next four to five fights, beginning with Sean Porter. That is true. It is funny how, like, Timothy Bradley is saying this is a pick'em type fight. But then, but, but Crawford beats Floyd Mayweather 10 out of 10 times. It's like, oh, okay, so this is a 50-50, but Crawford and, and Mayweather's not 50-50. Gotcha. Oh, wow, someone said this to me. I, I, I don't, did someone tweet this? I feel like this is one of those, uh, where it may have gotten tweeted, no doubt. It looks like it did. But this is like from a forum. Anyway, it's fucking crazy. Is Hagler's cherry pick of Sugar Ray Leonard the biggest cherry pick gone wrong? Acting like he got knocked out the first round or something. Hagler was undisputed middleweight and knocked out everybody during his reign except Duran. Meanwhile, Leonard, Leonard never fought at middleweight. Hadn't fought in three years and had a broken retina, a.k.a. damaged goods. Well, it, the retina healed, and he is in training camp for like nine months to a year doing live fights and all that. There's several specials that um, in interviews that you can look up that Sugar Ray Leonard talks about that. Hagler thought it would be an easy win to have another all you know all time great scalp on his resume. What happens instead if he got schooled, lost at least eight rounds, and the fight ended up? Oh wait, what happens in Instead, is that he got schooled? I mean, the first five rounds he fought stupidly, no doubt. But he got schooled? He lost at least eight rounds. The fight ended up in the upset of the year. The 
the upset of the decade. Imagine being an undisputed champ and being schooled by a, by a fat, inactive welterweight with a broken eye. So Leonard was, first of all, Leonard wasn't fat. <laughs> was he inactive? Sure, because he was retired. But he didn't have a broken eye in the fight. Also, we need to discuss about Hagler's cherry picking. Dude's biggest wins were Duran, a lightweight, Hearns, a welterweight. Dude, Hearns held middleweight just fine. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Some of these things, man. I say, I mean, what the fuck? Okay, um, I don't think Gervonta is an attraction for his peers anymore, meaning he's not the this tweet above said that he's an attraction. He's the biggest money name at 35, which he is. He's proven it with his gates. Shakur has a better win than Tank's win, which I don't believe. I think Santa Cruz is better. And same goes for Tio. I'm really frustrated that Tank never fought Loma because I thought he'd win. Way too protected. You could just say that last part. I'm frustrated with Tank. He never fought Loma. I thought he'd win. He's protected. But the whole he's not a he's not the biggest name. It's just why would Gervonta be the attraction of his peers when he's picking out fighters like Rolando, walking around with a regular belt like it means something. You're missing the point. <laughs> Those are all fair assessments, but to sit here, come on, dude. Tank price, tank ticket prices are 124. What a joke! Not even Mungia and Rosado. These guys are not even, you know, basically the ticket doesn't price cost that much for even a Mungia or Rosado. These guys are much bigger draws. So Mungia and Rosado are bigger draws than Tank. Come on, guys. Man, wow. Okay. Um, Wilder took the, jeez, what is up with the hating tonight? Wilder took the first fight because he thought an unfit, mentally ill Tyson would be an easy mark. Nothing heroic about that. Okay, that's fine. But what did he do? He fought him two more times, dude. Like, come on, man. I mean, come on, dude. So was it fake then? I mean, was it, were those bad fights then? My God. Okay, so here, here's uh, here's Montero, who routinely throughout, say, a month makes this, this uh, you know, we, we talk about the tweet of the week. Great tweets. Fanboy tweets, we just read some of them. But when it's media members behaving as fanboys, they need to be exploited. The mental gymnastics I'm seeing on my timeline today do they not understand it was Canelo who sold, now it's 700-plus. The opponent, the belt, the network, the, the, the promoter, literally everything else, literally everything other had little to do. Canelo is the undisputed face of the sport. But in another tweet, he started bringing up fake pay-per-view numbers because the Jake Paul was a clearly, that, that, that Jake Paul spring fight was a clear fake pay-per-view. Because if he did... 1.3 or 1.5, there's no way that they wouldn't pay him. <laughs> Remember, that was the big thing. Well, we can't pay him $10 million. That's what uh, Triller was saying. But, dude, if he's doing $1.5 million, you got to be out of your mind if you don't think you can pay him $1.5. Because this is what he said. Um, Jake Paul did over 1.5. So now Jake Paul did over one did over a 1.5 earlier, and then he brought up Mayweather and Logan. That did a million. 
that's Mayweather and Logan. That's Mayweather and, you know, come on, dude. Like, but then now he's saying he's the biggest face of boxing. But in an in earlier tweet, Montero was saying, man, Jake, you know, Jake, Jake Mayweather and Logan are bigger names. So which one is it? And here's the funny thing, because in Golovkin, who got a lot of credit for Golovkin's success? His promoter, Tom Loeffler, increases by, like, double. There is something to be said about Showtime being able to reach a lot wider audience with CBS than DAZN. It's just so funny, dude. It's like, on one hand, you're going to rip Canelo and be like, oh, well, he's not Jake Paul and, and Mayweather and Logan. They, they all did it. And on the other one, he said he's the standalone, the biggest name in the sport. Let's not say Showtime did anything. And it's like, well, hold on, dude. The promoter, Tom Loeffler, got years of he's the one of the best promoters in the sport. Look what he's doing here. This is huge. Well, wasn't that just Golovkin knocking people out and the crowd's loving him? It's just the same old stuff here. By the way, Gilberto Ramirez is fighting Gonzalez. Uneski? Uneski? Gonzalez, the guy who fought... Pascal years ago, he fought some solid dudes, but that's crazy. That's crazy. In San Antonio, December 19th. Um, Sinista Estrada, by the way, is on that card, too. All right. I'm going to get out of here. The show's about to shut down. I think that's enough of the fanboy tweets. I think we got enough of them in there. What do you guys think? All right. Enjoy the fights. Let's hope we get ourselves just the, the fight of the year type shit and I, and I feel like there's a possibility that that may happen just because of the styles alright enjoy the fights we'll see you next uh, Tuesday peace once you become the world champion I believe that you feel you have your upper hand so now when as you fight let's say you fight for five years of straight survival the bullshit the whole bag and when you become the world champion you're like you know what that made it I'm going to show you Every dollar worth of what I deserve.